0: On today's episode of Third Impact Anime, we teach you how to feel no shame about shape. Welcome to another episode of Third Impact Anime Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the 1997 television series Berserk, based on the manga by Kentaro Miura. I am your host today, Tobias, and I have a couple people here. Oh, sorry. Let me put my glasses on right quick to see who we've got. Okay. Oh, it looks like we've got Austin joining us here on the podcast.
1: Hello. It is me. And I would like to take my Egg of the King on toast with cheese, please.
0: Okay, we'll get right on that. We've also got Ryan back on the podcast.
2: I'll take my egg of the king scrambled.
0: And we've also got a bit of a special guest here. We've got returning champion, returning black swordsman, Will.
3: Hello. I will not be having an egg because I am branded for sacrifice.
1: Oh, so sorry <laughs> to hear that.
3: That's very sad. Thank you.
2: I can't confirm, though. I have seen his car. It is, in fact, branded. <laughs> it's a Honda, right?
3: It's a it's a, it's a Ford. So, Oh, I was way off. <laughs>
0: Sorry, but yeah. The reason we've got this episode today is is mostly Will's fault. Honestly, he's been our resident Berserk appreciator for quite some time, and with Mira's unfortunate death a back in twenty twenty one, I know this something that he's particularly has wanted to do a podcast on. So after much delays, uh, delays which are well known to the Berserk community, we've actually sat down to do this. So Will, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? What 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 about Berserk? has got you hooked
3: yeah so i think for me uh i got into berserk very uh recent i guess in terms of my my anime career it was like not even a year into actually watching anime i decided to just watch this wacky series called berserk because it just looked cool i really like fantasy stuff so i was like all right uh and i think just the sheer quality of everything really blew me away and it was also so much that it got me to actually read manga so it's like the first manga that i read Hmm. Um, I've been keeping up and following with the Berserk since, uh, I want to say, 2014, 2015. Uh, Very well adjusted to the uh, hiatuses, so it was very easy for me to get into it and read at my own pace without falling too far behind. Well, how
1: did you... I, I have to wonder, how did you stumble upon Berserk as a franchise back in, like, 2014? Because I don't really know if there was much Berserk in the water of, like, anything hype coming out at that time? Did you just kind of find it by happenstance, or did somebody recommend it to you?
3: It was actually through Reddit. So I ah. was someone who, when getting into anime, would just go to Reddit to look at, like, mm-hmm. what's the best anime to watch? They
2: said Berserk? Uh,
3: well, yeah, you'd have to go through a lot of the, like, classic stuff from from back then. Like, oh, you gotta watch Full Metal Alchemist, you gotta watch Cowboy Bebop. You know, a bunch of great shows and everything. The usual uh, stuff But then... Berserk piqued my interest because, again, the setting, I really like this sort of like medieval fantasy setting. But also people said, oh, it's the top-rated manga on my anime list. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't know what that was either, but I was like, okay. What, manga or my anime list? My anime list. Okay.
0: What about your anime list?
3: <laughs> Some people really cared about that back then. <laughs> oh, I love list-making and ranking, so back then I was all over it once I discovered it. Uh, and I went and watched it, and it changed my... Uh, anime and manga trajectory for for life
0: Mm. yeah i would say 2014 was peak my anime list for sure definitely
3: yeah (laughs) sounds about
2: right
0: Mm -hmm. what about you other guys austin what was your introduction to berserk
1: well listeners may remember a number of years ago at this point we had another fellow ryan on the show uh Not this Ryan, Mm -hmm. a different Ryan, who uh, was a good friend of myself and Bill back in college. And he, he was the one that introduced me to the title Berserk for the first time back then. I don't think I had heard of it until he started talking about it. And then I looked into it and saw, you know, it's this really big manga property that's really long and ongoing and it's a big dark fantasy and a lot of those things to me at that time i just wasn't really particularly interested in i don't really know why it's not like i don't like high fantasy and things like lord of the rings etc yeah but i guess it just didn't really strike me as something i wanted to get into and now you love dark souls <laughs> i well see that's 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 a really good point because this was this was like literally months before the release of bloodborne which is the thing that mm. got me into uh, Souls games? You know, I, I had mm. I had tried out Demon Souls on the PS3 and bounced off of it really, really hard. But it wasn't until Bloodborne came around, where it was this more like gothic, sort of Victorian action game style thing that that piqued my aesthetic interests more than the mm. medieval dark fantasy of Demon's Souls, Dark Souls, et cetera. Um, so, so it's funny you mentioned that because this was like that same exact time but anyway back back to ryan he had he talked a big game about it said the 90s series was really good but he decided to introduce myself and bill and the rest of our you know roommate cohort at the time the merry men the band of the hawk if you will (laughs) um, to the studio 4c movie trilogy so that was my first introduction to Berserk was sitting down and watching that movie trilogy. And I distinctly remember at least b- number two and three. I think we watched back-to-back Back on a snow day. Ooh. And That's man, mm. that, that that was
2: a rough day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it,
1: it took me a hot minute to get over
0: that one. I'm sure. But speaking of Ryan's, let's go to the other Ryan. Uh, our Ryan, what was your introduction to Berserk?
2: yeah so uh back when i was dating marissa um she sat me down one day and was like hey uh we're watching the berserk movies and i was like okay cool and so i watched um i watched the first one with her and i was like oh this is really cool i like this a lot and uh (laughs) then we watched the other two kind of spaced out over i think a couple of weeks maybe maybe like a month um and then, by the time we got through the third movie, I was just like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel at the moment. <laughs> and, uh,
1: yeah, so then... Very normal reaction.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I sat on Berserk for a while after that. Uh, she started reading the manga, and um, mm-hmm. then, I think probably, just barely pre-COVID, I started uh, reading it myself, because Will was bullying me into it. And um, it's a strong word. I got about two hundred or so chapters in before I took a break because something happened and I forgot to go back. you know how that happens right uh, exactly and I picked it up again recently and I'm I think I have like a hundred chapters to go at this point.
0: oh wow, I almost caught up
2: yeah it is it is a really digestible manga because a lot of the chapters are mostly visual, so you can right. you can soak in the nice art into your eye holes and then just you know plow through because they're not they're not super long all the time either like a lot of the chapters are only like 13 pages which is not mm. that much
1: okay you say the manga is pretty digestible i really wish that uh certain characters were not
2: that's very true Oof.
1: too soon <laughs> i think
2: we'll talk
0: about that a little a little bit later i'm sure <laughs> Well, as for myself, um, I pretty much did everything but actually experienced Berserk for a long time. Uh, back when I was still uh, a anime freshman, I was going to cons for my first time. One of the first things I discovered was uh, AMVs, anime music videos, in particular comedic AMVs. Like if you guys have heard or remember AMV Hell. Sort of um, just a quick shots of little one off jokes with musical stingers with, with anime. And Berserk was a, a heavy influence in that scene. I, even before I knew what it was, I'd already been used to Guts and Griffith and Casca and already had kind of learned the, the, the in game plot beats without actually knowing it. So before I knew the story, I kind of had an idea of what it was all about. So I'd actually sit down and read it. Like I, like Ryan, I had, um, a few years back, I had started reading the manga on some scan site at one point. But likewise, just let it trail off for, for no reason. But this is the first time I've actually sat down and watched it. And it's been funny to see some of my expectations about this property that I'm aware of be met, but also sort of be reversed. And I'm very, very glad to sit down and talk about it. And actually get this out of my system since uh, what 2004.
1: <laughs> there we so go. Were you shocked that it wasn't nearly as funny as the AMVs made it out to be?
0: Man, I gotta, I gotta show you some of those original ones. I think that I'll, I think you'll get a a retroactive laugh out of some of the, the goofier ones. Okay, well, before we get into like what my thoughts, let's let's talk about what Berserk is. We have talked about our experience with it, but well, why don't you tell us like what this manga series is and who Miura is
3: yeah for sure so berserk the original manga uh started publishing in 1989 i mm-hmm. believe he did like a one shot of berserk and then in 90 is when like the actual series started being produced um it comes out in uh, a magazine that's now called young animal at the time it was called monthly animal house yeah. um
1: they got rid of the house the the animals are just
3: running wild <laughs> oh they're they're running they're running loose we covered that in B stars <laughs> <laughs> They're old animals right uh, But yes it is uh, written and drawn by uh, Kentaro Miura who as uh, a lot of us already know has sadly passed away back in 2021 um, at the time of his passing he had made 364 chapters or about 41 volumes of Berserk um, since his passing Berserk is actually still continuing we'll talk a little bit about that later but in terms of Miura Sensei himself he essentially was started drawing as a child. He well, was well very, quick, quickly um,
1: before that, I, I do think it is. Oh, of course, it's it's notable to point out that like his passing really sent, a, a, you know, a massive ripple not just through manga and anime fans, but through like mm-hmm. the whole comics community globally. Because uh, Berserk's influence sort of goes way way beyond its specific manga niche. Like, didn't right. Notably, there was a big berserk spread in the New York Times.
3: Yeah, there was. I actually
2: have that framed. There was the memorial wall at I think San Diego also that year, wasn't it?
1: That sounds right. I think
3: so. yeah. They had a huge um, exhibition in Japan as well, showing like um, different documents that he had and props that were like replicas of stuff in berserk. Um, kind of like a museum you, you kind of walk through to see everything they had in Japan for I want to say a few weeks including some like um, notes from different uh, manga artists who knew him and everything it was a very sweet um, exhibition you can see pictures of it online
0: and just to, um, to echo Austin's point you know it's very easy to think of manga or anime even as a niche thing but Amir's influence like was it's so, just, just, just like worldwide people even like western artists had drawn a lot of inspiration from Berserk. And in the same way that a lot of my experience with the series was sort of just these icons that are fed to me rather than experiencing the story, just the, everything about this series is just so iconic and it influenced so many people.
3: For sure. Uh, Mira is definitely kind of like the godfather of the dark fantasy genre. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so much that we wouldn't really have without his work. Which is wild, honestly, because
2: like, I guarantee you, most anime fans have not watched this series, or read it for that matter, but, like, everyone is, like, aware of it,
3: but not that many people have actually, like, consumed it. I think that just yeah. shows its its wide influence and appeal, because you have people who, you know, like video games like Dark Souls, or even other big anime with big swords mm. like Cloud from Final Fantasy Yeah. You know, all these other different hobbies that kind of are, have links back to Berserk. So it just kind of adds on to that point of how ever permeating in media uh, his influence is.
0: A lot of the people creating media experienced this back in '97 and before. So even if Berserk is not necessarily a powerhouse franchise now, again the creators that grew up with that are now of the age to be making waves in their own you know fields of influence is something that was important to them then, if not if not quite so much now. For sure. And, you know, we we talk about the circle of influences and the people that were influenced by Miura. He himself was inspired by a lot of other sources as well. Isn't that right?
3: He he really was, um, especially early on. He was an apprentice for uh, George uh, Morikawa, uh, better known for Hajime no Ippo, uh, Fist of the Mm. North Star, um, Burana-san. So he kind of had a lot of that influence there. Mm. He also had a lot of other influence from other mangak from the time so things like um or care or individuals rather like um go nagai ishi uh, Ishinomori. um he also got a lot of influence from shoujo series too like aim of the ace and Rose of versailles so a lot of those other earlier works influenced him um but also more than just like his contemporaries but also A lot of influences he grabs from the Western side of the world, he's been quoted the kind of jump around a lot in terms of what's influencing him, things from like RoboCop, Mad Max, Evil Dead, and Hellraiser. Um, It seems like every time he would give an interview, he would talk about all this media he's constantly consuming and how that is influencing elements he's putting into Berserk. So I think it's really interesting that not only is he taking more of like the traditional type of influences from... Like where he is, but also looking at what's also popular all around the world, especially in Western media too. That kind of add on to it.
0: So what I'm hearing is that the last 100 or so chapters of Berserk have a lot of idol masters in it, right?
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about that. There are definitely a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I will say there are certain sections that do have a lot of uh, of, of idol type characters. I'll just leave it at that. So okay. maybe a little a little nod because hmm. he was not as much of the the idol master uh, fan as people kind of led to believe. Uh, okay.
1: It is kind of funny looking at berserk because it basically like, if you boil it down to its base elements, it's basically like, well, what if, what if it was evil dead where like there was a bunch of demons chasing after this one guy uh, and like ruining his life, but just (laughs) made like, into prestige manga you know uh taking all these influences from uh from shoujo which is v- highly melodramatic as as berserk is where everybody's constantly like wearing their emotions on their sleeves and things like that and you know taking all the the body horror from go Nagai stuff and and tezuka stuff like dororo and things like that uh so like anytime i anytime i've skimmed through an interview and sort of read those those name drops like you said will Almost every time I could put the puzzle pieces together pretty quickly to be like, oh, I know exactly what he pulled from Evil Dead right. to put into this. Or I know exactly what he pulled from, like, Rose of Versailles. Because Griffith even kind of has the same exact silhouette, you know, as, like, Band of the Hawk Griffith, as um, uh, Lady Oscar from Rose of Versailles. They have, yeah. like, the same exact mm-hmm. haircut. Like, Also, one yeah. of the god
2: hand, like, definitely looks like something out of Hellraiser.
1: Totally. Oh, and, yeah. like, the main god hand, I think this was, well... I don't know if this was right around the same time, but the main Godhead looks a lot like those things from uh, Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah. sure oh he, he does! Void, he does I, look I, like I would, that! I
2: would very much hazard a guess that he was not taking influence <laughs> from Mars Attacks, however.
3: <laughs> wow. Well. I, I mean, with everything he's reaching and, and taking things in, I can definitely see him maybe watching that wacky Tim Burton Western movie. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: But even the original... Weren't they original just, like, illustrations, right? or postcards that had the the AM Martians on them. I think they were like bubblegum, like yeah. little bubblegum cards that had, yeah, that's right. like it wasn't a story. It was just like art. I, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I kind put of like garbage pail kids kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I definitely Mitch saw the Bronson influence. Like when we get into totally. the, the meat of the series and guts, you know, training with the band and getting, you know, getting beefy and swinging the sword around, they, they looks just like, like straight out of Mr. The North Star. Uh, you can mm-hmm. absolutely see that influence there.
2: I mean, guts even looks like um... Kenshiro. Yeah, uh, his, yeah, yeah. His exactly. name was escaping me. Thanks.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Mister Northstar. <laughs> it is pretty neat that he, you know, he both worked for Baronson for a while, and then with Baronson on a couple uh, like one-off manga projects. I, I don't know. Will, are you are you familiar with any of
3: those? I am personally am not, unfortunately. Um, a lot of those like earlier works. I have not delved into too much, um like I kind of said before, like berserk was the manga that like got me into reading manga, and despite reading that and having the hiatuses, of course, there aren't too many other mangas of that era, and before I have really explored, which I really should mm. seeing the wide range that goes into berserk indeed,
0: please, please, Mr. North Star is my father, call me Fistov. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Guts would absolutely say you were already dead. Oh, yeah, he absolutely would.
2: (laughs) Bong. Hits him with a big sword.
0: Let's go ahead uh, and the meat and potatoes of the 1997 adaptation by Studio OLM. Let's go ahead and kick this off with our voice cast. Austin, would you like to do the honors?
1: Sure. I'd love to talk about some voice casts. So, as our lead character Guts, he is played by Nobutoshi Hayashi, who a lot of people might recognize as the voice of Basara Neki in Macross 7, and if you don't know who Basara Neki is in Macross 7... He is the guy who, in the gif, eats the leaf. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, yes. the leaf, the the anime, <laughs> the anime guy who, like, the, the leaf falls on his face and he grabs it and eats oh, it. Oh! Yeah, yeah, I know that. That's, that's, he's he's uh, the one with
0: the guitar, right?
1: Yes, yes. He's the main character of Macross 7. So, uh, you know, Macross, you know, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but, like, it's kind of a a franchise that a lot of people in the west aren't super familiar with especially those later mid like mid entries but yeah that that meme is pretty iconic in its own right and uh hayashi voices him he also voices lancer in fate's day night uh the like the original lancer i mean i know there's like a, a trillion lancers but he's like the one in the anime and the one that has shown up that's really popular i can't remember his real name but if y'all, y'all, Fates Day Night sickos. You know who I'm talking about. And yeah. <laughs> probably the most fun credit against Guts is that he's the longtime voice of Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog.
0: <laughs> nice. All right, that's funny. I can't think I've experienced too many Japanese dubs of Sonic stuff, but interesting.
1: Then, as Griffith, we have Toshiyuki Morikawa, who has really run the gamut of playing Capcom cool guys. So he is Dante in Devil May Cry since, I believe, Devil May Cry 4. I don't know if he plays him in the original trilogy. I didn't see a credit for that. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. He also plays Ryu in Street Fighter, I believe, since, like, Street Fighter 4, since, like, the HD era of Street Fighter. And he also plays Leon Kennedy since Resident Evil 4, which is pretty relevant because the Resident Evil 4 remake just came out. And it's also relevant because of a certain YouTuber that is on this episode right now. Do
3: you want to go ahead and plug your project you just did? (laughs) Sure. So I do have my YouTube channel, SwooshXBear, where I do make uh, YouTube videos on video games. And I did finish my review of Resident Evil 4 just in time for the Resident Evil 4 remake. Uh, By the time you're listening to this, I will be playing that game. Thank Thank you for that brief ad.
0: Thanks. Okay, well let's let's make that out a little less brief because I, I gotta ask you, where did swoosh X Bear come from? Please. Mm, please uh, tell more me. time.
3: <laughs> you know, um I actually answered this in my QA episode that's on my, my YouTube channel too, so oh, you can okay. check that out. But oh. the short answer is No wait that-
1: hold on, hold on should we not just tell tobias he has to go watch the episode to find out
4: <laughs>
3: you know that could be it too there, gotta, i do go in great depth about
0: yeah that. we we could do that for sure i do have um i was behind on um, youtube in general i've just recently discovered the watch later feature so rather than telling myself I'm going to watch it and never do, I've been making sure to tag things for watch it later. And, you know, some of your videos made it there. And I did, in fairness, I did watch your already poor video. Well, the first third of it uh, yesterday, because eventually I'm going to play the game, maybe the remake, maybe the original. And you got to like after the Ashley part. Like, no, I don't think I want to spoil myself. But Very fair. Too. same hat. I did give you a like. I need to comment. Uh, I need to give you the snark comment like I usually do. But uh, I watched as much as I could. I'll put it that oh, way.
3: Well, thanks. <laughs> now you can. Ha- I'll be hand in hand with you as you're playing through the remake. <laughs> yeah.
0: You need to do like an hour by hour walkthrough of this, like a <laughs> a podcast where I just put one one headphone in my ear and listen to you and your dulcet tones talk about Resident Evil Four and the Chainsaw Man.
3: There we go. <laughs>
0: Chainsaw Man. Yeah, there. Chainsaw Man's in there, man. You didn't know I mean, that. Spoils. <laughs> That's where they got the end the inspiration Uh, but enough of this uh tangent thank god bill's not here uh who else do we have on this cast
1: uh yes of course so murikawa also you would probably know him as being sephiroth since advent children and one of my favorite jojo's bizarre adventure characters uh, yoshikage kira in uh, diamond is unbreakable but this guy has voiced hundreds of roles throughout his career so if i didn't list your favorite one well the anime news network encyclopedia (laughs) did it for me you could just go read that Another one that's really fun for this podcast is uh, the voice of Casca is voiced by Yuko Miyamura, who, again, hmm. is another uh, Street Fighter alum. She she is the current voice of Chun-Li and has been for a number of years. She also plays the Lurk scene in Kingdom Hearts. And most notably for us, she is Asuka in Neon Genesis Evangelion, still to this day. There it is. Casca and
2: Asuka. Ah. Ah, ah,
1: Good one, good one. Please laugh. And, and, Please, <laughs> and uh for 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 bill's sake i i would i do want to note that she also plays kazuya toyama in detective conan
0: man so we've already got a bloodborne reference we've got a could have conan reference we got a resident evil reference just for will we're checking off all the all the things
3: berserk is so, yeah. so great
1: <laughs> mm, so many tendrils we're about to make the pokemon fans really happy
2: too that's true <laughs>
0: Yeah, Ryan, do you want to talk about the uh, English
2: voice cast as well? Yeah, I can pronounce these. Um, so, first, we're starting off with. Oh, you got to be kidding me. That, that's like a complicated one, starting right off the bat. Uh, okay, so you got Mark Derison. Mark? Yeah. Nah, no, Derison. <laughs> uh, I like look at it and I'm like, oh, that's not like Smith. Uh, okay, so we got Mark Derison as Guts. Uh, he's also Zorro in the One Piece 4Kids dub and uh Tokiomi tosaka in uh fate zero and he does a fantastic job
3: i thought the best fate show by the way yes it's it really easily. the only one you need to watch for i real. like unlimited blade works
2: mm, it's all right
3: i mean yeah
0: really the uh, best fate thing to experience is none of it but i'll ooh, let you
2: honestly well, <laughs> well
3: i, I think, think the best fate thing to experience is the fate zero episode that we did that's true oh <laughs> we got
2: all the plugs in this episode uh-huh. <laughs> so moving on, we got Kevin Collins as Griffith. Uh, he was Akito Tagaki and Bakuman, as well as various roles in Gundam Seed. And given that it's a Gundam show, mm. I assume he just had a role in like every episode, doing some background character. Mm-hmm. More than likely,
1: this was—I think this was a Canadian dub, and mm. or well, I'm not sure. I know, I know the ocean studios in canada did most of like the early to mid aughts uh gundam dubs i'm not sure if this dub was made in canada but i'm sure he was probably
2: i mean google kevin collins and see if he's canadian because canada i've learned media really likes to stick to like canadians for the most part i'm going to continue to live in ignorance sounds good uh Also, it's notable for Griffith. Uh, Veronica Taylor plays young Griffith, and she is known for being Ash Ketchum in the first mm-hmm. eight seasons of Pokemon. So, we all grew up listening to her voice. Uh, you, gotta,
0: you gotta, you gotta, catch all the God
2: Hand. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy? Catch him all. It's <laughs> Griffith <that> demon. <laughs> we haven't gotten that far yet in the show, honestly. Though, also, oh, uh, Carrie Karanen is Casca. And she was uh, Maya uh, Hisao in um, Fate Zero and Satsuki in Kill a Kill and Misato in, again, Evangelion, but the Netflix dub.
1: She, um, not only was she the, the dub voice of Misato for the Netflix dub, she was the ADR director as well. Carrie, she okay. probably, with the exception of somebody who comes up a little bit later in this list, she's probably the one that has the longest legacy out of this dub cast because i consistently see her working and doing things in the industry pretty pretty often like she's she's a mm. she's a regular in modern dubs like frequently
2: gotcha well the the person that jumps out for me we'll get to them in a minute but rachel lillis was princess charlotte and she is known for being misty in pokemon and not just mm. princess charlotte I, there, I don't remember what episode it was. I think it was just one of the random war episodes. There were definitely a few background characters she did because I just straight up heard Misty, mm-hmm. like unabridged mm-hmm. Misty saying something oh, wow. and I had to like roll it back. And I was like, that was definitely the snarkiness that Misty had in Pokemon. <laughs> it, it's one of those yeah. dub
3: voices that you don't have to look it
2: up. You just know There's that's no Misty. Yeah. But um. Like I was saying, also, the person that stuck out to me the most was uh, Sean Chamel as Gaston, who is Guts' second in command of the Raiders. He is uh, really well known for being adult Goku in the Funimation dub of uh, Dragon Ball, right. like the entire franchise. Still working as Goku to this day.
3: Yeah, he is, isn't he? Imagine yep. Goku is second in command of the Raiders. It just shows how strong Guts is. Mm,
2: <laughs> so true. <laughs> and then uh rounded it out we got Mike Pollock as Adon Kor I can't pronounce that one Koborowitz. yeah uh, and oh. he uh, he's known for being Eggman in the Sonic franchise ever since
3: 2003. He's been voicing Eggman as a family tradition that's been passed on for Koborowitz generations <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Get him laughs> the ancient Eggman technique
3: i'm the person
2: like it's well known that i'm the person who prefers watching dubs because i have substantial adhd so i have to be doing something with my hands at the same time that i'm Mm. watching something and i was fully prepared just to watch a show with a laughable 90s dub and it was actually like fantastic
3: as a show as like dark at times as berserk I personally also really like this dub because it has a lot of lighthearted moments in it. Just, yeah. like, the way some characters talk or, like, the mutterings of some of the, like, background Band of the Hawk members, like, during certain scenes. Like, there's a lot of, of good lighthearted moments with this cast and the show.
1: This this dub, to me, which I also watched because I'm, you know, of course, resident dub liker, I, I, I went into this expecting it to be kind of shaky because that is... The only thing that I've heard about this 90s Berserk dub is that it's, like, very much of its time. But I'm also the type of person that thinks the the 90s dub of Evangelion is quite quite good, despite its flaws. And I walked away basically feeling the same way about this dub that I felt about Mm. the Ava dub, where it's just, like, certain characters and certain actors really nail it. Even if the whole thing doesn't necessarily come together, but I'll say specifically, the Mike Pollock is a Don horrible guy, (laughs) just totally unlikable scumbag. But his performance makes it completely watchable. Very, very, very Mm -hmm. funny to watch this guy.
2: Oh yeah, it definitely does have its moments though. Like especially with like the side characters, like the. The episode where Guts is fighting the, like, thousands of soldiers or however many it was. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, Yeah, of course. You just hear, like, some of the people giving, like, a very light performance. Like, (laughs) get him! And they literally put their all into it. (laughs) They just kind of, like, definitely walked in the booth, recorded the line, dropped the mic, and walked out. (laughs) But, like, that's, that's, again, what I expected for the time like I expected so much worse because yeah 90s dubs sometimes are like laughable but yeah like you said I I liked this as much as
3: I like the Evangelion dub now if you do want to laugh along with this dub very famously there are a bunch of outtakes that the dub voice actors did <laughs> um, I believe it was on the DVD release uh, that had it on there but you can see them on YouTube where it's just the voice actors is having a really fun time
1: my love for you is like a truck has lived rent-free <laughs> in my brain <laughs> since I heard it.
2: Did they do the thing on the DVD where they take the outtakes and, like, animate them?
3: Yes. Um. Yeah. Nice. The, there's animation with it. I've only watched it from YouTube because I am unfortunate enough to not own this physically. Uh, maybe the Box of War. <laughs> I need that Box of War. How unobtainable is this set? It's expensive. Pretty unobtainable. Okay. It's ex- well. Unobtainable unless you have the money for it. Well, that's pretty much anything. So, for me, it's unobtainable. (laughs) It's
1: also difficult. I mean, this might just be a me thing, but, you know, well, I guess a broader context here, the show was licensed by Media Blasters in the early 2000s, and it was put out on DVD, you know, relatively good Mm. DVDs. It was, you know, of the time DVD release in, like, five or six individuals. Then they released a compilation complete box set later on but since then after media blasters lost the rights it's been it's been lost like the the license has never been renewed never by anyone media blasters i think even came out and said a few years ago publicly that they said they don't even have the rights anymore because it seems like a lot of the wow. stuff that they put out you know back at that time period they do still have the rights for but this is not one of those things so it's not been available officially in the US for probably going on 15 years so those dvds are pretty mm-hmm. expensive
2: yeah that's why that's why we all got really excited when um when like the the streaming rights was announced but then yeah we found out oh this does not include us there, that's there's right there's also
0: a blu-ray set it's pretty unfortunate we've got that either and it's kind of weird that nobody bothered to pick that up you think no. like discotheque get on that that would be the slam dunk when
1: <laughs> yeah i completely yeah. i feel like it, if they got this it would be like an evergreen title for them but i don't know licensing can be weird it just might not be available for international disc license i i don't know the streaming thing even if it's not in the u.s territory is a good sign that it can eventually be yeah. rescued but only time will tell
2: if you have nord vpn you can watch it anytime. but <laughs> or if you uh, fly to japan like we did yeah exactly yeah uh Nice country. But I just hate lost media because it just seems like such a waste, especially... we. Spoiler alert, I really liked this show. Like, the fact that it's unavailable is right. awful. Like, other people are not able to watch this because, you know, most people don't have the money to fly to Japan. And, uh... <laughs> they... You know, they're missing out on, like, an actually, like, quality 90s anime. Yeah,
0: like, from my experience, like, I watched, and, you know, the Blu-ray, and it looked great. Uh, the, the ones that I watched looked, looked really great. Yeah, sure, it shows its time. Yeah, sure, it sure shows its age, I should say. But I, it just, it's just so wild that no one has picked this up for U.S. release at all.
3: I think the other thing, too, is, like, and something we heard a couple people here say already, is that y'all's first introduction was by watching the Golden Age movies, which yeah. is kind of divided in the fandom in terms of how much they like them or not. So, like, even people who like Berserk are already are familiar with it, don't get to see what yeah. I would say is the best animation adaptation of it.
0: I know that at the time when the TV series was coming out in 2016 or so, uh, I know Crunchyroll was pushing that pretty heavily. heavily but I wonder if just maybe because yeah. that the, the the 3D CG era just didn't take off. Maybe because Crunchyroll was throwing a lot of money at a lot of things at that time, I wonder if that has something to do with it. Honestly,
1: I'm now I'm now crafting a possible <laughs> theory. So, all right, uh, not not to derail the conversation too far, but I was thinking, you yeah. know, there was this idea whenever the Evangelion rebuilds were coming out in in earnest before really 4.0 had a release window that. Studio Kara really wanted to focus just on making sure that the licensing rights internationally for the rebuilds were the thing that was prioritized. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why we didn't see a Blu-ray release internationally of the original TV show for a good number of years. It was only been in the last, like, two that the original NGE came out over here. Um, Maybe this is a similar situation. I mean, we see this right now with the Star Blazers and Yamato Sort of uh, releases where we've got very easy access to the new Yamato, but the old stuff is just gone. So maybe the rights holders are just like, well, we've got the Studio 4C show, or excuse me, we've got the Studio 4C movies, which is basically the same thing. We'll just focus on that and not really worry about the 90s thing, because it's the same content, right? I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. Sicko fans would uh, have vehement uh, disagreements about that because we want, we want to do that again <laughs> yeah obviously sicko fans would uh, would disagree with that idea because we want it all of course but i could imagine them operating on that sort of train of thought
2: yeah
0: well it's funny you mentioned producers and rights holders because that's the next thing i want to talk about is the production of this show so uh, the series was produced. Uh, the co-production was Nippon TV and a company called VAP, a short for Video and Audio Project. Uh, if you guys watch the the opening credits every time like I did to hear that amazing, great song by the pen pals, uh, you probably saw the... the. Tell me why. Uh,
1: Tell me why. Mm-hmm. Well, I watched
0: it because I liked the song. Awesome. I just, I, I was getting there. <laughs> you probably saw the logo for it had like a little zero, uh, like a pixelated zero and just VAP. Show up at the end of it, and these are not companies. Well, I've heard of Nippon TV, of course, but not VAP. So uh, Nippon TV is the broadcaster, of course. They that's where um, Berserk originally aired. A very uh, popular television channel in Nippon, Uh, but VAP is sort of like a general rights holder. They have a music label where they've got a whole bunch of musical artists signed. They end up producing a lot of the physical sets for their anime. So, like, they hold the the rights for Akagi and Kaiji, those uh, two gambling series, uh, Death Note, actually, the 2011 Hunter-Hunter series, uh, my personal favorite, Kaiba, and uh, Urasawa's Monster. And lastly, to go ahead and do our checkbox here for Sully's appearance on the episode, they also own the rights for the Super Mario Brothers movie... great mission to rescue princess peach
2: (laughs) check out our episode on that too (laughs) true talk
1: about a missed opportunity to get a pristine (laughs) either streaming release or blu-ray release of that ova in order to hype up the movie that's coming out in just a few weeks Uh, it's such a shame why aren't we in charge of these companies
2: well we don't have a lot of money
0: that we don't
1: they can give it no,
2: to me. speaking of giving
0: us money, we have a Patreon. I'll go ahead and have a link in the share notes for that and plug it at the end if you <laughs> have some extra money you want to burn. If you're
3: nice. listening
2: along at home, the shameless plug <laughs> counter is up to six.
3: <laughs> Please donate so we can all sh- collectively share one box of work.
0: <laughs> you no, that, that just has... They just hold a bunch of rights for the stuff, and they produce some of it. If you look at the production committee uh, model, this this is pretty common. You have people like the broadcaster, people that produce the merchandise, of course, but uh, this is not a name that I hear very often, so it was surprising to me to see stuff like Death Note, like Kaiba, like the great mission to rescue Princess Peach on you know on the repertoire. So I wonder if that's has got something to do with it with regards to an English release. You know, we've seen this other stuff has come over. Uh mm. hmm. wonder True. why Berserk's
1: not on that list. Most of it in fact.
0: Okay. Well, as far as the anime itself, this was animated by Studio OLM, Oriental Light and Magic. Now, I've mentioned this in panels that I've done before because the joke is that OLM is also the studio that has made Pokemon since the very beginning. It's kind of a a funny thing to say OLM go from the gotta catch them all craze to Berserk, which, um, well, you're catching something. All right. Uh, Which, you know, for a while was a joke I gave. But there's a lot more connections than I thought. We already mentioned some of the English voice connections. But uh, in particular, OLM being a big studio that animates big properties like Pokemon, like some pretty cure, like a lot of children's shows. Um, they have a bunch of individual studios. So berserk was animated by OLM Iguchi named after the lead producer, Noriaki Iguchi, as again, was the style at OLM. They sort of named their teams after their production manager, lead producer. Uh, and he, of course, Iguchi is credited here as the production manager. Uh, but, Uh, OLMiguchi also animated Comic Party, uh, one of the Two Heart series, the 2006 adaptation of Disgaea, that Atlas SRPG. And they would go ahead and animate uh, Pokemon from the 2006 to 2009. And then they would disband, Reevee reformed as OLM Kato, who is still working on Pokemon. So, yes, while it's funny to think of this studio as the Pokemon Studio, they are in fact still the people working. On that series, uh, but as far as individuals here, I'm go pretty ahead.
1: sure not 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 that this matters, and not that I endorse well actualing you, but I'm pretty sure not that I know anything about this franchise. This guy is an NIS thing, not an Atlas thing. Oh, I don't know. Right. You video game sickos know more than I do. I
0: think you're right.
2: Sounds maybe. About right. Yeah, you are. You are. Okay.
0: I thought. I <laughs> wouldn't there a lot of like distribution versus creation thing with that. I might just completely off model.
2: Um okay, actually what you're thinking of probably is uh Atlas actually oh. did publish Disgaea in go. the States.
0: Oh,
1: we'll see. I, I guess I'm that, wrong That's then. sort
0: of like mishmash well, of hyper anime strategy RPGs of the time. That's all like blended to me. Yeah. A whole bunch of that that all kind of comes together as one big blob in my mind. I And Disgaea was a popular one in particular.
1: Well, Atlas did, in fact, publish Demon Souls on the PS3 back in the day, which is, of course, you know, highly, highly influenced by uh, Berserk. So, you know, that, that's that's a reason to bring it up, right? We're trying to turn this segue into something meaningful, yeah, when right? I, when, I right think of, when I think right? of Disgaea
0: and yeah. the Atlas formula, you know, Persona, I certainly think of Demon Souls. Same game, really, if you think about it.
1: Same game, Same if you battery. think about it,
0: yeah. All right, well, as far as individual people worked on this series, the director is now Hito Takahashi who's been an OLM veteran for, for a while. Uh, he would go on to also direct Steel Angel Kurumi for those fellow mid ot sickos that were watching ADV Demo disc, you might, you might have watched an episode of Steel Angel Kurumi. I don't know anyone that actually likes this show. Correct me in the comments. Uh, another one of the two hard anime, uh, adaptations he directed, and more recently, uh, he did some of the yokai watch movies. So we talk about OLM being a factory to pump out kids franchises there you go see okay watch uh but i think his, the pinnacle of his output was the um agatha christie anime adaptation agatha christie no me tante poro to in 2004 where they do in fact um capture mewtwo in that one i believe <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, <laughs> well good for them thanks Another thing about them.
1: what can't poirot do <laughs>
0: Another thing about Takahashi is he's also went by a, a pin name. Uh, I wasn't able to find a whole lot of information about why he did this. Uh, his pin name is Ryunosuke Otanashi, and most of this was more chief animation, key animator type stuff. So maybe this sort of a, a, a way to shunt off some of that extra work rather than put it all in one name for directorial work. Uh, but as Otanashi, he was the chief animation director on uh, Iria's Rhyme, the animation, speaking of uh, recent discotheque pickups, and also the Rumiko Takashi classic Maizani Koku.
1: Another long-running, popular-in-its-time-when-it-came-out-over-here anime that is not available modernly on streaming or on DVD.
0: <laughs> I don't think I could get away from this without mentioning <laughs> the music. And this is by Suzuma Hirasawa for those longtime listeners, might remember we just mm. mentioned Hirasawa on our Paranoia Agent episode a few months back. True. They have a very distinctive style, uh, not only with Paranoia Agent, they did a bunch of Satoshi Kon soundtracks, including Paprika, the I think the initial cut for Dreaming Machine, and they have mentioned coming to do the Opus adaptation. So, uh, Maruyama has often talked about wanting to do Opus. I don't think it's ever going to actually happen, but uh, Hirasawa is that i'm on board just let me know i'll be there
3: and you can actually listen to his work on berserk mm. on spotify now it actually in the spotify i think like mm. sometime this year or the end of last year oh, that's great so when you want to have those moody drives that guts theme you now can
1: <laughs> anything hirosawa ever works on is is typically quite notable because of the fact that well A his mu- his musical styling is super unique and B he doesn't really work on anime all that often mm-hmm. like like you said this is basically the extent of his involvement like he he worked on a bunch of Satoshi Kon projects and Berserk and he did come back for the Golden Age trilogy right. at least I don't know if he did the 2016 17 adaptations maybe he contributed some tracks I'm not sure but he did come back for that which is pretty pretty notable because of how infrequently he works on anime properties
3: I want to say that he did or they at least like sampled some of his songs from mm. earlier Berserk for that but I'm not 100% on that one. But even in interviews uh, Mira has talked about oh, how she's yeah. enjoyed his work like before the yeah. even working on the anime. Oh,
1: absolutely. And that might be why too cuz I mean he he was an independent artist, you know, before, you know, of course it's his like primary job. And I I think that's how Satoshi Khan got with him as well. It's just that Khan was a big fan of his work and just asked him miura was probably the same way
0: yeah it's a very surreal yeah. electronic this basis that it works so well it's such a big part of Paranoia agent and i'm gonna lie when i went into this i do not expect the music to really be anything It's not generally i don't expect music and anime tv series to be great so when they are such as here it kind of blew me away and that's what kept me watching i think in a lot of ways totally
2: there were like three tracks that kept recurring that by the end of it <laughs> i like definitely was like oh you're back (laughs) but they were really good and like the funny thing actually is i was watching a random tiktok uh the other day and i just like heard an earworm like kind of like faded into the background the guy was using like one of the berserk tracks and i'm i just like commented i'm like i appreciate the use of the berserk music and he replied back and he's like i did not think anybody would catch that (laughs) yeah you
0: mentioned that it was very repetitive admittedly but man it was the best kind of repetitive every time
2: that was kind of that was kind of the flavor of the time though like they would they would use like a Mm. few tracks over and over again and like each one of them had like a different emotion that it was trying to like
3: represent Mm, absolutely or part of or thematically too like anytime you hear guts's theme it's it's one of the pinnacle scenes in the show
0: we want to talk about the opening and ending as well i don't really know so much about it other than the lyrics for both or uh, unintentionally comical.
3: <laughs> I don't either. I just really like the opening because I think it's it's short, sweet, simple, has a great track, uh, and it's fun. It's just a fun opening. The, the,
1: the constant conversation whenever it comes to the opening of Berserk is that uh, upon upon initial impression when you see that this is the opening for this series, it's a lot of tonal dissonance because it's like this uh, 90s rock song that sounds like it should be like a like a cut song from Foolie Coolie or something yeah. like that. Uh not not really uh not really something you would think would be the opening for this uh medieval dark fantasy <laughs> kind of thing. But I will say it did grow on me after a while. I, I admit to having made fun of it previously uh in 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 past years, but it's really grown on me. It's uh, it's quite a bop. It's an earworm. The, uh, the poorly delivered English lyrics are very charming and I'm down for it.
3: <laughs> yep. If I may add, um, when I first watched this show, thanks to some wonderful, uh, individual on Reddit, uh, they recommended that you just watch the 97 anime starting on episode two. Hmm. And the reason they say that is because that's just right where the yeah. golden age aspect starts. So you don't see any of the black Swordsman's art or, or arc originally, so if you do that, and then you watch that opening, it's like, okay, it's Cool Man with Sword. That's nice. Uh, you don't see any of like the fantasy supernatural type stuff until much later on when you mm-hmm. first meet right. Zod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that episode is one of my favorites because I remember the first time watching that and being honestly blown away because I was not expecting it to be anything like fantasy-esque. I thought it was just going to be like strictly yeah. medieval kind, kind of stuff. I think a lot of the the pacing for Berserk is really interesting because it really does start with, you know, that Guts is is trying to find Griffith because he did something bad. And then you see the rest of the show is just the like golden age flashback to how he got there. So the viewer already has that knowledge, but is trying to find out the why. Uh, But if you look at it from the other angle and then you just don't know, you have more kind of a shock to that.
1: Well, you know, the the Golden Age trilogy by 4C, they, they kind of do take a hard line on that perspective where you don't get thrown in in media res into sort of the Black Swordsman stuff. It just starts off with Golden Age material.
3: Part of me thinks that's kind of better for a modern audience, but... I used to prefer that method, but now I'm not so sure if I do.
0: Well, let's go ahead and uh, finish up production before we break down that, because I feel like I've got some thoughts on that too. going to be a big big point of contention, I believe. <laughs> but um, wrapping up the production here, I do want to, a couple more shout-outs. The character design was by two people here. Uh, of course, Mira naturally created the characters, but for the anime adaptation, we have Norihiro Matsubara, who has worked on character design all throughout the Pokemon series, as well as the gunsmith cats anime adaptation. And is also the chief animation director for this series. And we also have character designs. Wow, well, will wear two hats yeah. here. And we also have character designs by Yoshihiko Umakoshi, who's done a ton, a ton of, ton of kids, kids works. We have, um, a whole bunch of pre-care. Like I started to type out, Oh, it was like Precure All Stars, the movies. Oh, it was Heart Catch Pretty Cure. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put Precure here. <laughs> He's done a lot of a lot of Precure. It's like <laughs> goodness, it's a great comparison to the content of Berserk. Uh, also worked on Ordomanjo Dorimi, very similar to Precure. Uh, Mushishi, very not similar to Precure. And even more recently, My Hero Academia. So this guy's still getting work.
1: I was reflecting just the other day about, you know, how there's, there's basically a new Pretty Cure series almost every year, if not every year since it started in like 2004, and I'm pretty sure, last I checked, the amount of Pretty Cure episodes is like just a few hundred away from the amount of One Piece episodes, which really does put things into perspective.
0: This was kind of fascinating about OLM. They do stuff like Pokemon that has been ongoing since, what, 98 or so when the original series came out. It's not just a matter of putting out a season of one work, but you have to be a factory. Continue to pump out these works for your young audience. (laughs) And lastly, let's shout out the art director here. So this was Shinichiro Kobayashi. Yeah, so uh
1: unfortunately Kobayashi is no longer with us. He passed away kind of late in the fall of last year. And he was an older guy. He had been in the animation industry for a a long long time, but his major claim to fame was was his art direction, specifically like his background art. And it's something that if you recognize one of his pieces and you put together the the connections to other things, it kind of becomes instantly recognizable. He has these beautiful like uh sort of like pastel color landscapes that he does you'd probably most recognize him for something like uh, Lupin the third and the castle of cagliostro but he also did a ton of other things that really play with different visual styles because you know, cagliostro is you know fairly you know we've got we've got these castles we've got these lush floral scenes and you see those in berserk as well you know these castles these these uh floral thing the greenery and all this stuff but he also did things like angel's egg and Urusei a Beautiful Dreamer, and Venus Wars, uh, and he also did other shojo works, including the Aim for the Ace movie and uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. So he has this just like amazing breadth and width of talent that is really shown, I think, in full force throughout Berserk. Because you know, we see these castles, we see these beautiful skyscapes, we see these like horrifying images in during the eclipse, and. You know, he, he's just, he, he's a legend, a total legend. any Anything that he ever did was just incredible. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can see exactly what you mean. Those, even watching so much of this, I figured it was going to be more of a Conan sort of adventure story with a big buff dude killing, killing other dudes. But even just seeing like the castles and the forest in the background and the way he laid out, you know, the geography and the way he depicted the you know the battles just I think it worked really really well and I could see you mentioned these other things how that would connect for sure.
1: One thing that stood out to me was the significant sort of anime language pulled from the productions of Osamu Dezaki mm. because throughout Berserk. You know and 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 because of Kobayashi's involvement, you know he worked with dezaki on other things so there's certainly a lot of like literal actual experience here. but there's a ton of postcard memories in berserk, <laughs> a ton of those like mm-hmm. three frame like emphasis shots like whenever guts hits something cool with his sword. and just a lot of those um, sort of over the top, anime language things that came out of a lot of dezaki's tricks like his his bag of tricks and berserk is just full of that stuff all the time
0: absolutely all right well let's go ahead and take a quick break then and we'll be back to discuss our thoughts on berserk So I do want to go ahead and open the discussion here, just go ahead and riff off what we were talking earlier about the introduction. So my, my, when I, I started reading the manga, like I mentioned, a few years back, and it it has a very mm, uh, interesting first panel, let me put it that way. And I do remember, as much as I read, which probably wasn't that much in retrospect, it is just the Black Swordsman arc. We see him pile around with some people, but we don't actually see... What I now know is the golden age. So when I sat down to watch this series, it does that in the very first episode. It sort of hooks you into this idea that bad stuff has gone down. There is a broken world. And you can see immediately how the Castlevania series completely stole its entire intro from Berserk as well. (laughs) The first scene is just completely Mm. shot for shot almost.
2: Is it actually shot for shot?
0: I don't think it was shot for shot, but it, it might the whole be. time I watched Castlevania back in you 2016-17, know, I thought, Berserk already did this. I've seen this already.
3: <laughs> the people who made Castlevania, they are very open about not only their taking inspiration mm. from Berserk, but have said in multiple interviews that they would love to do any mm. adaptation they could do. They're huge fans of it. so, so I that totally, like, That's it. only
0: the first episode. So we see the intro. We get introduced to Guts as a person. We get introduced to his big honking sword. We introduce the idea of there being Griffith, and immediately it flashbacks into his past. And I was thinking, going into this, okay, surely they're going to give us maybe 10 episodes of the Golden Age before we cut back to the bad times. I was a little surprised that we went the entire season just doing Golden Age stuff, and the fact that it ended with you know stuff going down at the end. So, like, what do we think about that? Do we think that it worked in that sense or or not?
2: I mean, Golden Age is, like, a very good arc, but it's also a very long arc. Mm -hmm. So, I thought we were going to get the Black Swordsman arc in its entirety in, like, the first three episodes because it doesn't really take that Mm -hmm. long. It's a very short, sweet, to-the-point arc, but apparently not. (laughs) Uh, I think probably what they intended to do initially was tease us and then finish golden age and then do the black swordsman arc and then continue from there but like i was going to talk about this a little later but like the the hist- the, the manga was not really that far yeah. ahead of where the anime ended yeah i would heard that too so they didn't really have like a lot to go off of even when they like created the right. show like when it when it um, when the show started, Golden Age had finished like maybe four chapters ago, and then by the time the anime ended, one of Guts's like main party members of like the series going forward hadn't even been introduced yet.
1: And we have to remember too, like the anime may have come out then, but production probably started a year before that.
2: Correct. So mm-hmm. there was even less material. Yeah, I I really do wonder if, like, when they had the cliffhanger, I I really wonder if they were just like, this is all we have right now.
3: So, like... (laughs) A lot of it really is. um, Even from the manga perspective, like, Black Swordsman arc is, I want to say, the first three volumes of the manga, and then Golden Age happens, and Golden Age concludes at, like, volume 13. It's a lot. And... Right now, there are 41 published volumes of Berserk. So, like, we're not even, like, what, a third into the entirety of it? And, like, such a small portion of it is this kind of golden age, the the beauty of it, before it gets to what Berserk is mostly known for being a lot of the dark bad times. Yeah, because... So even though there's a lot of, like, violence and everything in this, a lot of the horrors of the universe here, we don't really see that that much. Like, we yeah. see terrible stuff, don't get me wrong, but a lot of it is kind of that first episode that's like what the world is mostly like in bizarre
2: yeah like eventually the wars pivot from being like soldiers versus soldiers to like the remnants of nations against demonic beasts right. so the show that well the series really just kind of entirely changes after golden age like it is not remotely the same series exactly to kind of go
1: back to Tobias's initial question like does this work? I think I think it's a really tough thing to really give a hard answer on for me personally because I think what we have in this single 90s series of Berserk which was all we had for a long long time. I think at the end of the day it kind of doesn't work because it's ultimately quite unsatisfying from oh, yeah. like most perspectives but at the same time i don't know if a more truncated golden age arc existing alongside a truncated black swordsman arc within the same 25 episodes would have been any better i in fact in fact i think that probably would have been worse because they would have had to cut out a lot more content to be able to fit both stories into 25 episodes So I think from an adaptation Of the Golden Age arc At least from what I know about it From the source material which is admittedly not much It does work in that regard But like from an overall Like artistic entertainment Perspective it's just like a it, It's really unsatisfying You know whenever all is said and done Because it's just like you walk away From the end of it and you're just like oh well Okay what was the point of that
3: Yeah I think a a big part of it, too, is, like, you only really have one episode to set that tone, and you don't really revisit. Part of me is, like, you know, what if they just start with Golden Age, and then that one episode, they actually fully show Guts, you know, spoilers, Guts getting out Mm. of the Eclipse. Because the anime is very, you know, it just just kind of ends without really showing how Guts and all that gets resolved. Mm -mm. And I'm I'm like, if we just had one more episode just to kind of help bridge that gap and show where Guts is going next. Mm -hmm. I think that would make it a lot more cohesive. I agree. And like that content I'm sure was like, you know, timeframes, but I'm sure that content was like either being written or like was about to happen at the time. Um, I read a a couple places that Miro was like a supervisor on this show. So I'm sure any sort of input he gave could have maybe helped on that, but. Maybe that was just a, an artistic choice at the time. That's the thing that I wonder about. Like, where was he in the manga at this
2: point? Like, when the final episode was, like, written, directed, shot, whatever. Because it, it it is a very odd choice to, like, start with an episode of the Black Swordsman when they had no intention on finishing that for the entirety of the season. And then ending on such a cliffhanger... It would be less bad if it wasn't, if it never continued, but it just ended, and I'm like, well, that's uh, very unsatisfying.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I gotta agree. I know that the time is a flat circle and all that good stuff, <laughs> Right. but it is really unfortunately the way it ends. There's no second season. Maybe OLM being such a big powerhouse studio that pumps out a lot of stuff. Maybe they expected to eventually get to season two, but unfortunately, the simple fact that they didn't get to it—the fact that we don't have it—does that was I think the ending, as much as as crazy as it was, as Tobias Core and surreal as it was, did kind of fall flat a bit, knowing that there was no continuation. Um, I will say that coming into this, I was really hyped for the dark fantasy stuff. I had read the manga. They sort of again, we're going to mention Demon Souls, but the Demon Souls-esque sort of aesthetic. Um, that was sort of backported, I guess, <laughs> put it in a way, um, was really really in- interested me. So when I saw that it was just going to be the old boring medieval, you know, very realistic, quote unquote realistic, I was put off a bit initially. This is going to be a little boring. It's going to be more swords and less sorcery, but that sort of thing. I'm glad that it, it captivated me and it held my attention throughout, even the sort of the more boring warfare stuff you- and the political. Uh, Mastinations we get. I was expecting to be bored by that, let's just get to the point where Griffith murders everybody, you know. But <laughs> but I wasn't. Like I I was captivated by it. In fact, to the point where I kind of wish they had given a little more meat to the ending because it it the whole last chapter I felt felt a little rushed. Sure, we know that Griffith was hurt by Guts leaving. He spiraled into throwing basically it all away, but it felt a little too sudden to me, especially since. A few episodes prior, Griffith had been almost um, godlike in how way he outmaneuvered everyone. He knew that the Queen was planning to kill him, so he killed her back. He yeah. knew that that little sniveling little Varus kind of dude was—he knew what he was plotting. And no matter how smart, how strong these people were, he always found a way out of it. Which I figured was like the magical Beilert thing, but he went from being such a, a powerhouse to immediately spiraling out of control. Does the manga flesh it out a little more?
3: Not really. The overall story beats are still pretty much the same. Uh, most of the cut content from Golden Age is kind of in like the middle sec- sections. There's a couple other like um, demonic fights that they depict oh, okay. um, that kind of gets cut. So, of course, Zod is the first introduction yeah. that the band of the Hawks see, but there's other aspects of Guts interacting with other, other worldly beings that they kind of cut, mostly because it has rather adult content in it. I think that kind of toned that down here, um, but in terms of what you're referencing with like uh, kind of the quick Griffith kind of, to put it plainly, kind of messing up. Yeah, um, it, it really does kind of happen exactly like that in the manga. Do we, from what um, I recall? Because
1: what's up? Well, I was going to say after you finish your thought, do we want to sort of step back and sort of establish, you know, what what we're dealing with here? Like, what is what is the setup of of of, uh, of, of all of our players here in this in this story?
0: As far as mean, what role they serve, or
1: or just generally, like what is the story? Like, what is what is Berserk? What is it about?
0: Oh, okay, right. Oh, yeah, we yeah. haven't really done a plot synopsis, really. Yeah, I guess. Well, we Austin, that, yeah. why don't you go ahead and give us that plot synopsis?
1: Well, shoot! Now that you say it, um, <laughs> so I guess sort of we've established kind of our general feelings about the show overall. But I think I think we should go back to the beginning a little bit and sort of set up. You know, what what is Berserk? What is what? Who are who are the players? What is the context here? So basically, it's you know this uh, dark medieval world, you know, fairly grounded and realistic, at least in the uh, golden age. You know, after the first episode, that sort of shows all these you know evil creatures and whatnot that Guts is dealing with. But whenever we get to the actual section that the anime is about, you know, it's these, these warring uh, factions against each other we've got our main character guts who's this like young up and coming warrior he's really got a chip on his shoulder about everything and we sort of we, we see him from his perspective first and then we're introduced to uh, griffith and Casca and the band of the hawk which is basically their military uh, mercenary group that they work you know basically for hire for whichever kingdom is willing to you know give them the money to serve them in their never-ending wars of conquest and land and castles and all that crap. So a very sort of standard fantasy, sort of medieval-esque setting, not directly placed in any specific country or any specific time period, which I think is definitely the best way to go, because uh, a franchise that I really appreciate is *Parts of the Caribbean. And one of the things that I think really freed them to be able to kind of do whatever they wanted to, is that they intentionally put it in a vague past, a vague time period where they could take all these ideas and nobody was going to be like, well, that wasn't actually invented until 1794 and you've got this thing that's, <laughs> you know, this takes place in, in uh, the 1500s and what does it come to 200 years later? They kind of avoid all of that by just being like, this p- takes place in Midland, which is vaguely, Europe so they can kind of get get out of all the nonsense of historical things but still fairly grounded which I think is what makes the fantasy and the dark demons creatures and stuff sort of really palpable later on whenever they do show up but that's that's basically the setup right Guts uh, he meets Griffith and they're kind of uh, at odds with one another but they notice sort of this spark in one another and their relationship grows over time. There's a lot of complicated things that happen over the course of the show, but... um...
3: Yeah, that's essentially the main premise with just, you know, Guts joining the Band of the Hawk, and then over the course of the show seeing the Band of the Hawk as a mercenary group really rise in rank and prestige with the other, like, houses in Court of Midland. Um, There's definitely a lot in the show about, you know, the class divide, the nobles really look down on Griffith and the band, but they're just extremely capable in this war that Midland is with the kingdom of Tudor at this point. Um, that is just, you get to see that kind of rise as I kind of rise up the ranks and win more and more battles and thus get more and more fame and uh, public approval.
0: Yep. And I think the big sort of turning point that they're, they're working as mercenaries. They're getting power and prestige in particular, um, Griffith is because he believes he is going to become someone of importance one day. He's going to rule the world. Um, but really what it comes down to is they're living for Griffith's dream and guts is realized that that's not his dream. He, in fact, spies Griffith, telling, um, princess Charlotte, who he's trying to, um, sort of uses his ankle to get into the, into royalty. He tells, um, Griffith tells Charlotte, you know, I don't really respect anyone who follows, just follows orders, follows other people you know, that I want to do what I want to do. And this is my path in life. And guts takes this; he sees it, his friend. Says, okay. Well, I can't live my dream by following yours. Mm-hmm. So he's working himself up to the point of leaving. And that's really where things sort of break down As guts wants to become his own man and live his own life. And so much of Griffith's like desire is built upon Guts because Guts, we talk about how realistic the series is, but Guts is the, himself the least realistic part. He just nerd, like mercs dudes left and right. We talk about when there's a part where he and Casca get like separated from the group in a forest and they're having to, uh, to get back and he fights and kills a hundred dudes. There's a part where they're in the tower. I think there's like two or three parts where they're in towers and he's just, Effortlessly killing people with his ridiculously huge Buster Sword.
1: It seems it seems like that specifically that really hammer at home how influential this was on the Dynasty Warriors video games because basically oh, yeah. those yeah. games are just that scene.
0: Mm. Exactly. Really I know. Didn't they make the PS3 game the Berserk?
1: Well, that's one of those. They do. Yeah. A... That's that's one of those weird things that comes full circle, right? So Berserk. You know this idea of like a lone warrior in a field, just like wrecking and mowing down like hordes of enemies. You know, came from the Berserk manga and the Berserk anime, and then, you know, like a decade and a half later, they made a Dynasty Warriors Berserk game. So it all kind of comes back into to feed into one another.
0: So I guess at that point, what do we what do we feel about that? We mentioned how abrupt Griffith's change was at that, but we, we so much of that is about being your own person and following your own desire and living your life. What do we, how do you feel how that plays into, into guts and into, I I think a
3: lot of those, a lot of those themes I think are some of the best parts of bizarre. And hmm. I think you see it most vividly in golden age, which is why I think a lot of fans consider this to be pun unintended. The golden (laughs) age part of the manga um, (laughs) is that you really get to see a lot of the forefront about how much that like, Griffith kind of you said is kind of leading everyone onto his dream but there's always that one thing in the back of his mind that guts is always someone that is very different for him Griffith talks about how how guts is the one person that for a brief moment makes him forget about his own dream and he can't always get a fix on why he feels that way meanwhile guts exactly to get to your point is at the point feeling pressured by himself to leave because he feels that he can't really stand as an equal to someone great, like Griffith. If he has nothing that he's really fighting for the band of the Hawk is, is very enamored with Griffith and he's just such a charismatic person. And guts also gets a lot of that like following, but guts isn't very charismatic at all. He just kind of gets that Mm -hmm. more so earned from his, his battlefield expertise so Guts has a lot of this, like, potential, but he doesn't really know where to put it. Well, that's the thing. I think that's... And I think that kind of conflict adds.
1: Yeah, it's that... It's I think it's that central conflict of, like, well, we saw kind of Guts' upbringing. You know, we see some flashbacks to, you know, him as a child. Like, he starts off with this, uh, honestly, kind of comical origin where they say, like, he's a man that was born from a corpse or something like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah. that sort of sets him up to be this sort of a uh, dark, tragic figure, you know, as a, as a young man, you know, he's, he's under the foot of this, uh, horribly abusive, like soldier dude that he's, uh, being raised by for lack of a better word. And, you know, he, he Not learns a better
2: word. He is being raised by him.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, raised in a sense of like, well, he's being constantly abused you know, I don't really think there's much fatherliness going on there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's what i meant um but like and so guts grows up you know he has this horrible sense of self-worth where it's entirely entangled in his ability to kill people and perform on the battlefield so whenever he starts making these bonds with the people in the band of the hawk and with griffith and with koska etc he's being challenged in a way where his self-worth never would have been able to let him see himself that way previously. So there's a lot of, uh, complexity of, of all the characters interacting with themselves and trying to reconcile how others see them versus how they see themselves.
0: I'm really glad you brought that up because that's kind of where I wanted to lead the discussion is we think about dark fantasy. We think about the demons we think about everything's dark. We think about the blood and the murder and the rape and all that stuff. But what I like about Berserk is that it shows you how these characters got to that point. We see guts based on that abuse he, he handled as a child and how that sort of has led him to just be a violent person. The point of that is his entire personality He leaves because he wants to go beyond just being the tough guy with a sword. Uh, We see that with the other characters as well. Uh, Griffith, even though Griffith is just, he believes in his fate and his ability to rise above and rule the world. We see some of the stuff that's brought him to that point, the abuse that he suffered as well. And he's not just a one note bad guy character, you know? I think
2: pretty much every single one of the main characters, it showed some form of abuse Um, which is actually something that was notably absent from the um from the movies. They definitely Mm -hmm. just ignored that. They hinted at it for Griffith, but everyone else they just didn't address it. But yeah, like Casca was running away from people, and Griffith threw down a sword and told her to defend herself, and she did. It it seemed like a very very large part of all their whole story. Like they all had like a terrible upbringing, basically. Um, but they're trying to make something of themselves now and they're not going to let their circumstances you know, stop them from accomplishing their goals.
3: Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a, a big thing about how the Casca flashback that we see mm-hmm. is a great example of how pretty much everyone in the Band of the Hawk really idolizes Griffith because he's kind of helping them show them what else they can do with their lives, even if it is fighting for someone else's dream and glory.
0: Yeah, I really liked how that played off and with with Griffith. We get to the point where they take that one uh, impenishable fortress and we see the guy running it is the one that molested him uh, mm. years ago. And the way he finally comes together and he's he's trying so desperately to have Griffith to save him. Like, you remember, remember the good times? And Griffith's just like, no, like, like marks the guy. No. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like a really great way it comes around, you know?
2: That was funny, though, because Griffith was just like, no, I used you, and I'm going to kill you now, and you're going to have to deal with that.
1: Exactly. Right, And, and um, kind of going back to what you said, Will, like, I, I think it's it's easy... It's, sometimes it's easy for me to forget in this story that, like, the Band of the Hawk, like, all of the members in it, these are all low-class peasantry, basically. So, mm-hmm. really, there is no path for success for most of these people outside of what they're doing at least success that this world and this societal structure sees as success because i mean you constantly see the class struggles here where like you know as griffith and the band sort of uh garner more prestige all of the nobles in midland instantly want to make sure they never reap any rewards from that they want to cut them down so that they will not threaten their power and prestige so i think one of the things that a lot of a lot of this is kind of not necessarily spoken it seems like a lot of the allure for the band of the hawk to be brought to griffith and this uh this dream of his is because well this is really the only path they have out of you know the 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 misery of like medieval peasantry it's just like this is their path to making quote-unquote making something out of their lives rather than just being poor farmers forever
0: Mm -hmm. that's kind of what the mercenary class was doing you could make some money you didn't have to starve if you would just pick up a sword and possibly die it just happens to be that these group this group in particular had a really good leader that made them a thing so I really like the parts in you know when things start to turn, when they realize oh we get to be we get to be nobles now. <laughs> it was kind of nice to have them uh, you know, sort of reinvent yeah. themselves uh, briefly.
3: Yeah, that ballroom. They were scene all like really excited favorites. about it too. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: totally. No, I love the ballroom, the ballroom scene where Guts gets to dress the fancy
2: collar, and <laughs> Chaska's <laughs> like so this dress yeah. is so impractical. What if we get attacked?
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't want to constantly do 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 comparisons to the four C movies because I feel like we can kind of do all of that at once. But I, I feel yeah. like that scene, I don't know, resonated a little bit funnier, a little bit more awkward in the four C movies. So uh, I'll just I'll just drop that out there and, and leave that for now. We don't yeah. have to talk about it.
0: Well, let's kind of let's go over sort of individually our our thoughts about the series. So, Rand, what what the things we haven't talked about yet? What other things do you want to point out about ninety
2: seven? Um. We pretty much have talked about most of what I wanted to say. Like, it it does a really good job of capturing, like, the important points of the Golden Age. Like Will said, it does cut out a bit in the middle, but Golden Age is really long. Like, really long. And they did a good job pacing it. They, they emphasized the bits that needed to be emphasized. And overall the quality was solid. Like, I thought that the hmm. Zod introduction was done super well, where it's just, like, no music for a time, and they're just, like, a bunch of people getting murdered by this supposedly immortal so- soldier, which turns out to be true. Um, and then they fight, uh, Guts gets utterly destroyed, Zod sees the bailet and freaks out, and then that kind of leads into, like, oh so griffith is actually special and this actual demon is afraid because he has a special necklace like they they focused well and i thought like that's probably because you know mira was directly involved um but despite it being like a 90s anime the fight scenes were like better than a lot of modern shonen's
1: I think that from a narrative perspective, this series like almost completely works for me. Within the parameters of this being one chapter in a much longer story, and by that I mean like it feels like the 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 dramatic pacing of this show like going from you know we introduce Guts right he's this kid with a chip on his shoulder he meets Griffith and everything changes. He becomes buddy-buddy with the Band of the Hawk. You know, years pass, they do some cool stuff. This big demon guy gets introduced, and, like, we learn about the Baylet. You know, all that stuff. You know, hitting these these notes, it feels like just around the corner of every story beat is another thing that sort of, like, nudges us towards the edge of something, of some new revelation. And I think stories that tell their stories in that way are just inherently a lot more interesting because it it feels like every episode or two there's always something that sort of changes the status quo you know and and we can see a lot of foreshadowing early on of what those status quo changes might be like whenever um, Griffith eyes Princess Charlotte for the first time you know me even even having seen the the Golden Age trilogy first and knowing kind of how things go the i think the anime really communicates is like oh he is scheming right now there is something that's going to happen he's going to try and use this girl for something and we can see it coming a mile away uh same with the nosferatu zod fight of like we we encounter this big demon and we see this this supernatural stuff for the first time and it's just like oh we know something else is coming down the pipe i think the show does a really really great job at priming us to uh, always be on the edge of our seat. Yeah.
0: For sure. And I think some of that is because, because the first episode, maybe because of that, or maybe because I went into this already knowing the broad story beats. If this had just been a Conan style adventure, I don't know if it would have kept my attention as much, but anticipating the eclipse, anticipating the falling out, anticipating the Griffith was going to be the villain. At the end of the day, I think that that kept me more invested than it would have otherwise, which is to say nothing of the fact that I think that the, uh, the Golden Age stuff did work out. I think seeing their different battles was interesting. I did enjoy Mr. Uh, Korowicz as a recurring <laughs> comedic relief villain. I think that surprisingly did work for me, <laughs> uh, yeah. surprisingly, and uh, catching the little glimpses of their backgrounds and whatnot. Uh, I wasn't expecting to like any of that, but absolutely did. One thing
1: I kind of wish is, I wish we had gotten a little bit, and maybe maybe this happens in the manga, so manga freaks, tune in. Do we get more context for some of the other Band of the Hawk members that don't really get as much screen time? Because it seems like, I was kind of hoping that this wouldn't be the case, because it certainly was in the movies. A lot of the time, some of the Band of the Hawk members, like Corcus and Rickard and Judo and Pippin, they all kind of seem a little greek chorusy sometimes where they just kind of comment mm-hmm. on the things that we're seeing or they talk about like oh griffith he's such a great leader blah 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 guts really seems on edge right now you know this sort of uh again greek chorusy kind of stuff and i i kind of wish there was a little bit more to that i know we get more rickett down the line uh, likewise with um uh, well mainly just him really but
2: yeah <laughs> is there <laughs> literally just him
1: <laughs> yeah is is there is there more of that or is this like a blind spot that is in the source material as well
3: not necessarily like there are bits where you get a little bit more for judo uh, i think the anime does show a fair bit a bit about it because judo kind of has this thing for casca yeah. that he never pursues because he knows yeah. that casca is like very enamored with griffith but that's like kind of the most that we. it's get. pretty downplayed even that i think it, it really is. The only time like, they
2: really directly touched on it was when he was actively dying, and he was, yeah. like, trying to go to her, <laughs> and that, he's just like, did yeah. I protect you? And she's like, yes, you protected me.
3: Yeah. That's a, that's a little too little too late for me. He does get a moment where he talks about um, being, like, a jack-of-all-trades, yeah. where, like, he even himself felt like he was never really good enough to lead or to do anything, but the Hawk kind of changed his perspective that he still had his purpose, So it it really kind of is more so, like you said, like, they kind of just kind of echo that sentiment and don't really have as much individuality, because a lot of that is really just focused on the core Guts-Griffith-Costa aspect.
1: And I get wanting to keep your narrative threads trim, right? And I respect that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess maybe I'm just a sucker for pain, right? So losing them would have felt a lot (laughs) more horrible uh, in the end if we had maybe gotten a little bit more from them.
2: I still thought it hurt, like, because you you got to know them for like a really long time, and in the manga it was a really long time, and then just in a in an instant they're all wiped out. Yeah. No, I mean, I I and still think that even works. though they're yeah. not explored as deep,
3: yeah, they still yeah. have like their own individuality mm-hmm. and they have personality, which you can't really say for a lot of other series that have like these minor characters like you know what
2: type of cor- you know what type of character corcus is he's the he's the naysaying asshole who just exists to get on guts's nerves yeah he's the corcus yeah
0: i couldn't remember that guy's name i was like is it conquer is it conquer what's that guy's name <laughs>
2: corcus <laughs> was just like, having a perpetual Cork- bad fur day man <laughs> i mean
0: corcus is not really a better name if you think about it but were we really in paying him a corcus it? I don't really. think so.
2: Corkus, Borkus, <laughs> no. Dunkus. More like Dorkus. Oh, yeah,
0: got him. I got to I got to stand my boy Pippam. We love yeah. a we love a big boy on the Third Impact anime podcast.
1: That he is a big boy.
2: I remember the first time when I was watching um the the movie and Judo kind of comes out of nowhere and, and is still alive despite the fact that he's not alive for very long. I was just like, yes, Judo survived! Maybe he'll make it! Oh
3: god, oh no,
2: not, a, not at all, mm-hmm. no.
3: <laughs> yeah. But a lot of what makes Berserk for me is, I think, really kind of what we've talked about with that deep level of those characters and themes. There's, I feel like, a lot of that we get to see kind of in the forefront as the events of this whole aspect of Golden Age is taking place over many years as they're slowly rising up that you get to see a lot of those themes and that character growth really progress over time. Guts is constantly struggling with what he should be doing. He almost, is he going to leave? Is he not going to leave? It really does act like a prologue to like the whole, the whole berserk as a whole, really, Mm -hmm. I think. And, and his, Um, and I think that's why it makes it so easy to digest this one thing. And, uh, you
1: know, in a, in a way, Guts's relationship with Griffith isn't really all that complicated. But his relationship with Casca takes a lot of different twists and turns throughout the series that Mm -hmm, I do appreciate. She's she's basically our second main character, but well I I think that her her story is just as essential to the narrative that plays out as as Guts and Griffith.
2: It is. Especially like towards the end of the war, when she like really breaks out on her own and just shows how capable she truly is.
0: Yeah, we it kind of ties into the idea of the the idea of the dream. So the point Unlike Guts, Casca does believe in Griffith. She's drinking the Griffith Kool-Aid the entire time. Mm -hmm. She sees him as being this important person that even she as a capable agent, unlike Corcus, unlike, (sighs) you know, Judah, unlike the other people. She's someone who has risen above and is still worshipping Griffith. Uh, She sees how important he is. And to see that sort of transition, especially as, as Guts decides to leave and she notices this and she's She's completely confused. Why would you want to leave this? This is the man that's going to change everything. This is paradise. And when she realizes that she's living someone else's dream, she's following someone else, I think that's where things start to turn. And when Guts beats Griffith in that battle, she realizes how right he is to do that.
3: When Griffith starts to lose control over guts is really when he starts to unravel because guts has a lot of that admiration already that it can really just unravel a lot of what griffith has built up which i think is what adds to his very quick spiral because he you know when he first meets guts he's like you belong to me now you're mm. mine yeah like my property right right exactly i
0: think she realizes that, that at that point too like she has been property uh, to griffith the whole time the same way that all of the hawk has been and when she sees guts break out from that, she's still a year later trying to free Griffith because she she has that belief that if she she just gets Griffith out, things will go back to like they were the way they were. That's her her sense of normalcy is tied to that person. And I think in that last chapter, when Guts comes back, she resists it. She's tore up about Guts destroying everything, really, and realizes I think that she has feelings for him. Maybe because of that. Do we? How do we feel on that? Because I kind of feel like on the one hand that it just felt okay, this is a romance story, she's the female character, we kind of have to do this. I don't know. How do we feel about them getting together?
3: Part of me kind of feels like what we've talked about in sense of like kind of just Guts being the one kind of showing her, hey, there's more than life than following someone else's dream. Mm-hmm. I think kind yeah. of breaking her from that kind of adds on to her Yeah, in that regard. I read it
1: a little bit as like a little of both and. Like like a Mm -hmm. bit of uh "Ah, yeah she's the female character so we have to have a romance plot yay but i think reducing it to that would be flattening it a little bit too much because i don't because i think that what we do have is pretty it's pretty complicated right i mean it's i I think calling uh some people would get mad to call the berserk like a a love triangle drama and but it is (laughs) (laughs) like it just is it just is and, you know, Casca's feelings about—Casca dealing with her issues of self-worth, just like everyone else, is pretty unique in her own way, which I think is important that these characters are unique in their struggles, even if a lot of their issues sort of manifest in similar ways. So she, she has a difficulty opening up to Guts because she thinks that Guts is sort of being put on this—he's She's being pu- he's being put on this pedestal that she wants to be on— by griffith so there is this tinge of jealousy here at the beginning especially but she's constantly torn between like well if guts is the one that griffith wants to put on this pedestal and i believe so much in griffith's dream i shouldn't be the one to tear that down so i think that's why she gets so mad that guts wants to leave because ultimately that's against what griffith wants right while dealing with the internal conflict that she's she wants to be that one she wants to be that person but she also knows she's not but it's like a really long road for her to get there i think griffith really has to be removed from the situation for her to really see what's going on and even then i don't know if she fully grasps that because by the time she really does become more autonomous and more self-sufficient well the eclipse happens and it kind of undoes all of that yeah
0: it really wasn't a relationship it was like like a codependence
1: yeah there. all these people are terrible <laughs>
0: <laughs> i like so much of the the beginning we see casca as someone that rejects like her gender and rejects like the all the bad stuff that comes with her gender like the, her whole introduction is she getting sold into sex slavery with a noble and griffith yeah. freeing her from that yeah and you know that one point where she's got to like lay with him to warm him up. She despises that, detests <laughs> that, and she detests guts the entire time, partially because he is this badass that just showed up one day and has taken her spot as Griffiths number two. But I think there's, you know, it all comes to a head with the part where they get lost in the forest. She's she gets almost captured because she's going having her period and she's having like I think it's just like general sickness that sort of leads her into that situation. Mm -hmm. And I think those scenes where she's like fighting against these preconceived notions, this, um, this patriarchy, (laughs) I guess to use the word in the the general sense, like she fights against that. I found that so interesting, which to me, maybe this, I guess that what it comes down to is the fact that she eventually becomes the love interest. And as you said, a love triangle to some degree, I don't know, like I kinda I kinda get it. I kinda'm glad that she's found some meaning even if it's in another man <laughs> kinda. Yeah. Like she still <laughs> feels freed by it, but it does make me feel a little weird that it had to be that to say nothing of the last episode, but
3: that's Yeah, right.
2: It's interesting you mention uh her rejecting her gender as well because I remember the one scene where I think it was the final part of the war where she's in the fortress uh fighting with the one general and her helmet gets knocked off and they're like wait mm. she's been a woman the whole time and right. like yeah. it made me it made me realize i'm like oh yeah like casca really didn't have like stereotypical like video game female armor like her armor was the same as everyone else's uh yeah and it, it just it made me think i'm like you know what good for you miura you were rejecting that idea back in the 80s <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do think it was weird they gave her, like, pink, and there were some <laughs> skirt-like frills around it, which I thought a little weird, but whatever. I, I agree that it wasn't, you know, chain-mail bikini yeah. bullshit. It was-
2: <laughs> More so, it wasn't obvious to, like, diegetically. It wasn't obvious to the rest of the world that she was a woman because she was just exactly. a badass, and they were like, we have to kill them because they're killing all our soldiers, not, haha, woman weak, we kill woman. It's like, no, she she earned the bounty on her head but still you know yeah. and
1: and this is this is part of what i'm fascinated by in the writing it's just like uh, Casca is constantly dealing with the fact that yes she is a woman in a man's world like very literally not saying that in a colloquial way it's just literally what is happening in front of the screen and Mira and the script writers do not shy away from confronting that basically head-on like lots of horrible things happen to Casca simply because she is a woman and uh they also deal with the realities of what it's like to exist as a woman in reality which includes having your period and if you're a woman warrior on the battlefield that's it it doesn't it just doesn't go away you have to deal with that yep. so i think that it's quite fascinating in in the ways that they allow Costca to basically embrace like she's not just another guy that happens to be a girl they like completely embrace her femininity and they work that into how she is perceived in the world and how she is treated by others and how she sees herself
3: it adds a another whole layer to her well everyone else is kind of you know the lower class yeah. fighting for the hawk but then she's also dealing with that aspect on top of everything and still becomes a compelling character who i think is handled pretty well at this part of the it
1: moment. would have been really and it show. would have been really easy for them to just be like to write a character that is a female warrior and maybe some snide remarks get thrown at her every now and again but that's basically the extent of her femininity it would have been really easy to do that yeah. i think we can all probably think of examples of that but they don't they decide Mm -hmm. to make her complex because
3: it would be complex it is complex and you see a lot of like berserk is known for having a lot of that more like sexual type of violence and aspect scene and everything and i think for the most part minura i think tackles it very well and depicts it like tastefully as as weird as that is to say especially in Kind of this 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 uh, golden age aspect. Of golden it. age
2: is definitely the most tame of the arcs when it comes to like nudity and
3: stuff like that. I mean, I mentioned is, the very first panel of
0: the series is guts going to town on a succubus.
3: <laughs> it is. It definitely has. It definitely has those moments. But I think at the same time, he does a good job at you know taking these traumatic events that are happening to these people and showing how it impacts them. It's never like just for shock value or for like the plot. Like, it actually, those characters take it with them, and they kind of carry it through everything else that's going on. And, you know, a lot of that is, I think, is something that's difficult to tackle in media. And I think Berserk does it in a, in a more well fashion yeah. than you would expect, given its reputation. Right, right.
0: And I guess it kind of goes down to, like, that, that final scene is, I guess what also hurts that we don't see more Berserk, uh, the, the TV series that has... Uh, I mean straight up when Fento is born the first thing he does is rape Kazuka in front of Guts and it's it's a hard scene to watch but the, when you see what's happening there Fento is looking Guts straight in the eye yeah. the entire time it's very much a power play and it's like Absolutely. I've taken your friends I've taken your loved one in front of you you're being held down and, and gored by my demons like on the one hand I hate it because Kazuka is such a strong character and I hate that the fact that they've kind of in a way have reduced her to being the female character. On the other hand, they built her out to be this, this thing and to see guts, see his, his good friend, like destroyed in front of him. It's, it's painful to watch. And so much of it's easy to put Mars attacks, aliens on the screen. It's so easy to put just a couple hard movie references, but when you see everything come together, it's, you know, it, it, it's hard to not compare it to, for instance, End of Evangelion, where so much weird shit is happening. Yeah. Uh, the very horrific sexual imagery is happening on the screen. Very similarly here. It, it put, like, a, a really, like, pit in my stomach to watch mm. a lot of that. Yeah. Because of how yeah. bad I mean, it, it feels.
1: It it hits in the horror, even on its face value. I mean, that's that's for sure. But it hits even more because we've we've gone through this journey with these characters, and we know what brought them here psychologically. And that's just, that that's the part that makes it truly devastating.
0: Yeah. Even to see um, Griffith sort of make that change. We see him being this figure on a pedestal to making a bad decision uh, in a world where that is not tolerated to immediately getting mind broken. And even though he's still trying to be a good guy, at least a part of the last episode, the last two episodes, he does make the decision at the end of the day Fuck it! These people don't mean anything to me, and this is the way I will step to power. He does make the decision to to go ahead with it.
2: Yeah, uh, I think also given where the anime ended, it ended with Cosmo being raped like that. That did not resolve. Like that is where it mm-hmm. ended. I think that also is what kind of made that in like the entire resolution of it just feel really uncomfortable because the the image the specific frame that they ended on was like absurdly graphic even for a 90s anime and to just end Mm -hmm. the series on that like granted i imagine at the time they did not intend to end the series but still they did so it just made it like (laughs) yeah holy crap
3: and like yeah it's also difficult to talk about like characters like casca in the whole scope of Berserk, because there's, like, so much I could say that I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah. Thank you. But there's, like, so much... There's so much more that happens that it's so unfortunate we don't really get to see it here. If you if you watch the um, movie,
2: you know what happens to her in a broad sense. I, and, like, where I'm at, but, nothing much has really changed from that. I know you know something that I don't. Um, But, yeah, like, Casca... Casca
3: remains relevant. She definitely remains relevant. Uh, but, again, I don't want to dwell on my dissatisfaction with how her character was handled after this arc, yeah. but. Uh, let me
1: just take this moment i think we've i think we've talked about it enough uh, can we can we spend some time comparing it to the 4c
2: movies i think i'm ready to talk about that sure i do want to give like a kind of funny slash i was a bit of an idiot aside regarding that scene though so when i was reading uh the manga initially uh this was before covid and i know this because i was still in the office and I had some downtime, so I was like, oh, I'll read a chapter of Berserk while I wait for tickets to come in, and I happened to be in the middle of the Eclipse, and I just, like, I pull up up to a panel where Casca is full spread, and I'm just like, you know, I probably shouldn't read this at work, and so I put my (laughs) phone away, but I was like, quickly looking around to make sure that nobody saw what i was like looking at because i didn't want to have to explain it to anybody
1: and after ryan cleaned out his desk he went home and finished the story (laughs) (laughs) but uh anyway so yeah i mean if
0: we want to go ahead and break into that any do we want to do maybe sort of any final thoughts i gave ryan the opportunity to mention stuff but do we have any extant things to discuss i guess austin for you for you, it would probably be the, the the 4C movies, honestly.
1: Yeah, that would really be the only thing uh, left I would really want to discuss, I believe. I mean, I think a lot okay. of the things... Well, let's about, just go ahead. Yeah. Let's go
0: ahead and just talk about the 4C movies, sure. and then we'll end with whatever Will wants to say.
1: Sure. I, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but but here, here's my feelings on the 4C movies. So I think, you know, I, I said this earlier, I think the issues with the animation are a little bit overstated for me. In the first movie, they're rough. I'll, I'll definitely give it that, but it's it's one of those things that definitely mm-hmm. is improved upon in the second one and third one. The first one is a little, a little rough for sure. Certainly, like, light years better than the 2016 and 17 adaptations. So, God. got got that I, out I, of the
2: way. I haven't even, uh, I haven't even touched those, just because, like, one, that arc is just kind of terrible, and also, I know... I know everything, like the memes about it and all that, and I just... I don't even know if it's worth
3: watching out of, like, irony. I... And just for the viewer's benefit, the, the anime that came out in the 2016 and 2017, it's two seasons and it adapts arcs past the Golden Age. Whereas the movies I foresee are just essentially going over Golden Age again. They made these anime adaptations of arcs going forward. That is the only time they've been animated and they are not super great i don't want to dwell on too much but just for needed context there um yeah it covers the next arc and a half basically because there's still a large portion that is not yet i'm gonna say yet <laughs> not yet adaptation or adapted rather uh to the screen that's kind
2: of one of the things i was saying earlier there is a lot that really like should be adapted like now like somebody somebody should try again with a better studio and just adapt. I honestly start from the beginning. Just start over. Mm-hmm. Go forward and like adapt the entirety of Berserk. Because maybe they should
1: just let Four C do it anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe they should let Studio Orange do
0: it. I mean, Ooh! if they can do Trigun, they can do Berserk. Dude,
1: yeah. that'd be so good. Um, but anyway, um, it would. <laughs> Uh, so uh, another thing about the the Four C movies, I feel like some of the scenes for me hit a little bit stronger just in the way that they were executed maybe it was the subtleties of the of the animation maybe it was uh maybe it was just me i don't know there were certain scenes i feel just were executed a little bit better in in those like for instance uh griffith's interactions with uh, princess charlotte whenever they first meet i thought that was done a little bit better in the four c movies uh the the ballroom scene uh, i thought was done a little bit better in those um and for ill, depending on your stomach for certain things, the eclipse is a lot more graphic in the four yes. c movies it really by is. a significant margin, and depending on your stomach for that kind of thing, uh that could be seen as a plus because it's of course more accurate to the manga or a downside because it is not easy to watch, so
2: no like. The clips in the 4C movies made me uncomfortable, like genuinely yes. uncomfortable. Like I'd mentioned earlier, I was dating Marissa at the time we were watching it together. And like afterwards, she wanted to like cuddle. And I was like, no, no, no. You need to get away from me. Like, I do not want to be touched right now. Yeah, just needs some need some space. Need some space. Yeah. Like that, that was <laughs> that was not that was not a comfortable movie. No.
1: And I feel like Griffith's deterioration, even prior to that, you know, after he had been, you know, tortured for a
2: year, which we didn't really even talk about that necessarily. uh... That is the one thing the anime really glossed over. Like, it did just kind of... It kind of skipped about, like, kind of really exploring what happened to Griffith and just how bad it was.
1: Yeah. And I I feel like it was a little bit more harrowing in the presentation in the uh in the 4c films
2: the one thing that i wonder and it's kind of it's definitely one of those things that's like leave it up to your imagination but like in every every like version that's been done so far guts removes griffith's uh helmet mask and is just like oh my god and then like puts it back on immediately and it's just like that's true it's just like don't look at him and like from what you can Mm kind of see he doesn't look that bad so like it it really makes me wonder like what did he see Kids listening at home, if you like that cool mask, you should definitely
1: watch the movie Phantom of the Paradise. (laughs) (laughs) It's the sequel to Berserk. Great movie. Great movie. Cool mask. And uh, Mamo from the mystery Mamo is in
2: it, too. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) But uh, anyway.
3: I will say for for those who may or may not have seen the 4C movies already, um, last year... Uh, they did kind of a, a recut, I'll say, of the movies called the Memorial Edition, where they were essentially uh, re-edited to be broadcast on TV. I want to say it's like, oh, geez, like 10 or so, maybe like thirteen, than 10, like quote-unquote episodes. It might be 13. Yeah. But they essentially kind of cha- clean up a little bit of the animation. Um, I'm, I have not watched the Memorial Edition, so I don't know how much they change in terms of the visual aspects. Are they licensed and available if over here? that is a great question i, I, I will actually find out right know. now um i know that they are from last year um i don't know if they're available i know that actually you know what i do know is that they did announce a blu-ray set for it but i don't know if that's for our region or it's not, on Crunchyroll. oh really oh is it really yeah. well we'll shoot how about that go. well i i would say if if the animation from back then is a little bit jarring for your taste i might recommend trying instead of watching the movies watch the recut of memorial edition uh most famously it added the quote like bonfire of dreams scene It's one of my favorite scenes in the 97 anime that is surprisingly not in the golden age movies originally like when guts and cosk are having their talk Mm -hmm. around the bonfires of the band of the hawk um, which i think is a very important scene for for golden age and i was very surprised when it was just not in the um Original movies are not really expanded upon. Well, that was going to be so. Yeah. That might be a better thing to look that at. That was going to be
1: my downside of of the four C movies. Is that, of course, you know, just by the nature of them being films, being like less than half the runtime of the '90s show, there's going to be a lot right. of stuff that's not there. But a lot of the stuff that they did adapt is adapted sometimes better, in my opinion, than the. 90s they did the version. music better.
2: Oh. There, the important scenes were better animated for sure. Um the only thing for me about it is it was that weird pseudo 3D style and there were certain moments where I was like hyper aware of yeah. the that fact.
1: Yeah, no, I mean that's certainly true. That's certainly true. I think the I think the show looks its best whenever it's doing 2D stuff yeah. or like composited stuff, but when it yeah, especially in that first movie, it's it's it can be rough
2: the first movie was rough i definitely think it definitely benefited in the eclipse because the dome was like that full 3d and just the way it was animated it, it really brought out just how dreadful that
3: was yeah it also really helps to see you know how guts gets out of eclipse yes town. yes well we actually get to see a lot that's more again there. like it does it it, it finishes the plot <laughs> It, yes. it primed it, at least. It primed
1: me like walking away from finishing the '90s show. I was just like, "Well, shoot, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this," you know, because it's it's just horrible. There's <laughs> there's really nothing that makes me want to walk away from that and like go back to the source material. But the ending of the third uh, the third four um, C movie it really does prime you to want to know what happens next because you get that little tease of you know how guts got out what the new status quo is and you really want to see how they go forward.
2: Yeah.
3: And now you see why I got sucked into the manga all those years ago.
2: <laughs> once you get past it in the manga also, because this is the third time that I've experienced the Golden Age, because I watched the four C movies, then I read it, and now I watched it again. Um, and like it's still a really solid arc. And once you get past it in the manga though, it starts the the series takes on an entirely different tone in like the best way
3: possible
0: well speaking of the manga here how does how does one absorb the berserk manga in 2023
3: you can you can buy the volumes you subscribe to young animal magazine in japan (laughs) uh, or you can get the manga it had the manga has been slowly releasing on a pretty steady schedule uh hiatus jokes aside so there are currently forty-one volumes you could buy physically. Volume forty-one came out, I want to say, earlier this year or late last year, and that is the last of the Manura chapters. So it's pretty almost all the way caught up. um Are these sure those we'll big talk. thick tomes? Forty-one of them. Great question. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. So no, so the they still make regular. I don't know what the term would be like. Volume traditional tachoban. size regular yeah. volumes of manga. T- yeah. They make those still. Now, they have been doing the deluxe versions, which are, of course, those massive leather hardback uh, big tomes that I am slowly acquiring. But
1: they they call them chunguses in the industry.
3: Yes, I believe
2: that is the technical term uh Chungai is the the Um no it's greek it's greek chungus
3: is greek it's chungus <laughs> so, so those have three volumes per so if you buy the first right. uh chungus of the zerk it has the entirety of the black swordsman arc in it and then chungus two is the first three volumes of golden age etc um, those are all not out currently. I think there's like ten or so out. I saw thirteen when I was in pace, Barnes and Noble last. So they're they're coming out thirteen already. They're out. coming out pretty okay. fast. Like they're catching up. Honestly, I was gonna say thirteen should keep it on pace for adapting or rather um, releasing the, the all of the Berserk that is currently out. Because I think if they keep it the three volume per K. Um, I can't speak. If they keep track with the three volumes per Chungus, then it should be around 13 of those big ones, which I think is a great benefit if you're okay with holding a giant massive book uh, because you get to see Minura's art blown up and... Like scaled upward, I should say, in like a, a really good way. Like it's a really good way to visualize and see all that art in person versus the s- smaller manga size that you're really used to. I, right? would need,
1: I need to fact check myself on this, but I heard a statistic that apparently Berserk is the best-selling Dark Horse property, period.
2: I've it heard is, that too.
3: Period. Yeah. More than any sort of Western comic or anything. And that was before the Deluxes were coming out. Wow.
0: Well, what about digital? How does uh, one such as myself, who doesn't appreciate tree pulp, (laughs) how would a digital nerd like me your local library?
3: So to be completely frank, I mentioned earlier, it was the, I believe, the Skull Knight forums. Um, They post a lot of information with chapters and just berserk news in general. It's a very active community since like the 90s. Um, Young Animals website, actually, this is like as of like a couple weeks ago, um, have released like all almost i think almost all or all of berserk for free to read on their website but it is in its non-translated japanese form right um but i thought that was pretty neat
1: pretty sure it's on all your major digital storefronts as well like if you wanted to get it on kindle slash comiXology i'm pretty sure you would be able to do that or google books or what have you i don't think it's i don't think it's know hard it's to on... find
2: uh yeah probably
0: well let's go ahead and talk about the manga um from this point on, as we discussed, Mira passed away a few years back. I know there was some talk about continuing it, not continuing it. What, what What's the state of the future of Berserk?
3: Yes. So Berserk, when it was being written by Minura, um, he passed away when Chapter 364 was the most recent chapter. Or rather, that was the last chapter that came out that he had written. Hmm. And after his passing, there was a good, I want to say, year Of just no news there in the fandom was a lot of buzz of oh is berserk going to continue is berserk done um as you know i'm not again i'm not going to go into spoilers but the last chapter that he released is definitely not an ending to berserk so there definitely is more to the story from where he his last chapter was um for a long time there was a lot of debate on what was going to happen a lot of radio silence and then a while ago in 2022 they announced that Berserk would be continuing and the way it was going to continue was going to be, uh, essentially Studio Gaga is the name of the studio that of Minura's assistants that helped him with creation of the manga. So that studio is still working on it, but it is the Berserk project. I'll say is now being supervised by um, Koji Mori. Mm -hmm. Um, Koji Mori, I don't think is very famous in the West um, he is also, like, a, a manga artist. Um, he has more notably been very good friends with Minura for, like, his whole career, basically. They both kind of got into the industry around the same time. They're, like, best of friends. A lot of interviews in Young Animal from Minura also either mention or also Mori does interviews with him. Uh, most famously, Mori's the one who kind of told the initial story about him and Minura playing Idolmaster, which um, <laughs> kind of started that whole meme. Uh, Minura never was a huge Idolmaster fan, but the internet does what the internet does when hiatuses are in season. Of course, <laughs> But anyway, um, Minura, uh, since his passing, again, it's Mori who is taking over, and Mori has said uh, in the announcement that he is going to be continuing the adaption of Berserk, of course, he is only going to be making chapters and content based on things that minura told him in person physically like he's not going to embellish anything he's not going to add anything he's going to make it as true to minura's vision as possible right um which i think is probably the best possible course of action for berserk to continue because you have him doing it his like best friend supervising it and you have the his assistant studio who's been like helping draw and fill in and detail all of the manga for many years be the chief illustrators for it and they have released a couple chapters since then i think as of this recording there's like five or six chapters that have come out and it still looks like berserk the the art style is is very much the same as minura's style um where the manga is right now i can't really comment on how people feel about the plot because berserk's in a really weird spot right now Plot-wise, but anyway.
1: How do you feel about it?
3: Without spoilers, I think it's totally fine, because Minura sadly passed away at the very end of an arc, so it's kind of a rough situation for Mori and Gaga to be in, because they have to wrap up this arc, because like, big things are happening at the end of this arc, and now they have to enter the next arc, mm. which Mori has said should be the final arc of Berserk. Really, mm. But we, we will see. So the we end is say. in sight, dang. Minura said in an interview a handful of years ago uh, that Berserk was already more than halfway done. Okay, But I don't know if that's, like, an, an Oda situation of, yeah, One Piece <laughs> is totally, like, 100% yeah, done. It, Oda said that when so, One Piece was on, like, chapter
2: 800, and everyone was like, okay, dude, do you have any idea? But, like, yeah, Mira, I, I definitely yeah.
3: would believe him way more than I believe Oda. For, from what I understand, that's the only time he's commented on the status. I could be wrong on that, but from what I've read... That's the only time he's been like, you know, where, how close to an ending Well, even
1: we? then, you sort of, these, these folks, have, they have to operate based on the information they have, you know. If, if they want to, you know, as they say, make it as close to what he wanted as possible, then the only thing you can do is sort of take what he said seriously, I mean and do the best you can right so like you wouldn't want to continue because like the further the more they make the further away they're going to get from anything that he may have dropped as a hint for where he would want to go so I think even if he hadn't said that it probably would have been a good idea to just make this the final arc of berserk anyway just to like you know wrap it up in 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 a somewhat swift reasonable way so that they can you know put a bow on it, walk away from it, and be like, we did the best we could do. There you go.
2: That's just kind of the thing also, is like, I feel like his apprentice is going to respect like the legacy, so he's not going to like milk it for everything it's worth. So, I don't really, I I thankfully don't see that being a
3: problem. As a, as someone who's been following Berserk for oh geez, like, almost ten years now, which I know is not a lot compared to most people who've been following Berserk manga forever, but... It's been a huge aspect of manga and anime fandom of my life. I was very content with Berserk just ending when Minera passed, Mm. because to me, Berserk is a lot more about the journey rather than the destination. He's done already so much for the industry and media in general that I was at a point where, you know, we were over a year in with no news. I was like, okay, if this is the end of Berserk, I think I can make peace with that and move on. Mm. But... So you have some fans who really just want to see, oh, I need to see the ending, I need to see all this come to a head for the plot, and I think that Berserk is so much more than just the destination. But, again, I think this is the best possible outcome if they were going to continue, which they are. Yeah,
2: I agree with you uh, to a degree with that, but also, I am a person who really hates unresolved endings, like it drives me crazy if i like get invested in something and then it's canceled prematurely and i never get like resolution on like the plot or something and like i hate bad endings as well so like for me uh, like any form of media the ending is as important as the journey just because it it validates the journey <laughs> like if it ends well everything that happened had a purpose and it makes it very palatable for like a revisit
1: there are two wolves inside of you one of them is named will and the other one is named ryan <laughs> one of these wolves is content the other wolf is not <laughs> <laughs> Right.
0: <laughs> but i think this, like i hate that this this is a lesson i think that i have to begin you know put over a artist that has passed but i really hope more people take this lesson from years passing and that, if you have a long form yeah. story, it does need to end. And sure, you got people like Oda that are doing a a particular type of story. It's a shonen weekly sort of. It's going to be meandering by its very nature. I understand that. Even I mean, though weekly, yeah, it's his job at end. this
2: point to like do sure, that.
0: sure. I mean, on the other hand, Oda could probably retire and still be you know, incredibly rich for the rest of his life. But oh, God, with yeah. something like B- Berserk, it's not a meandering shonen story with. Cartoonish characters introduced every saga. Like it has right. a story, and it is more mature and for adults. And yes, the jokes that he plays Idle Master and for so long were a thing. But the fact of the matter is, it had there has been like a hiatus. There has sat a long time with the story. Part of it because he was doing very successful, he could work on other things. I think uh, he did have, didn't he, have a lot of other apprentices. Uh, people besides Mori that were doing stuff for him around him. He
3: did that. That was really a, the studio Gaga. It's a, a collection of individuals. I unfortunately don't really know any a lot of them by name. Um, but there's been a lot of apprentices taken on or taken on oh. rather that have worked with him, and then they would leave, and more people would come on because Minura, from what I understand, is very much like open to helping like teach the younger generation. Yeah, um, well, that's really he has awesome. a really good relationship with his. Uh, as, uh, with his assistance there
1: are some creators that aren't quite so uh that aren't quite so nurturing to the future generations <laughs> Miyazaki <laughs> but uh it's yeah. uh, great that uh, <laughs> uh Miura pays that forward because you know he was uh, that was done for him whenever he was young you know he working with his hero baronson and uh, uh, the other gentleman whose name exactly. I forget but that that's that's really good to hear
0: right and that I appreciate but when you see somebody like for instance George R, R. Martin that in the middle of his epic saga struck it <laughs> struck gold and yeah. he just is he's sitting on winds of winter for what uh it's been 10 years since the series the, the tv series was started airing which is already it's kind of there been
1: a Well, a funny you mentioned that because he did uh he did do some conceptual design work for another berserk fan project called elden ring
4: yeah
0: he did didn't he
3: no, yeah, that's the thing with Minura, too, is that, like, he didn't really do a lot of, like, huge side things during Berserk. Um, he, of course, was, like, supervising other Berserk content, right. but he did announce, like, around 2015 or so, working on another side uh, manga um, called Durakai, Duraki, something like that, Okay. Um, that he famously is storyboarding, but mostly Studio Gaga, or the ones who were like actually producing and making the art for that. So fans were very like, what are you taking time away from Berserk for to make this new (laughs) manga? But it was very much so like him, you know, doing a lot of the planning, and then the Studio Gaga was actually like, physically drawing and making everything for it, I think is a way to kind of help show them more about his art style is kind of what a lot of fans were thinking. Yeah, right.
0: And to be clear, like I don't want to be the guy with a whip in hand, you know, hitting these people, get back to work, make my content for me. I don't want to be that if they want to take a break, if George R. R. Martin says, fuck it, I'm never writing again, I'm just gonna live in my theater for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah.
0: That's perfectly fine. If Mira said, you know what, I'm
2: I'm always reminded of that one little Karibo sketch that he did like probably a decade ago. But basically it was his response to like it was basically just any time. He was doing something in his actual life. This dude would just, like, pop up from the toilet and be like, why are you peeing when you could be making new episodes? And, like, I get that from a creator's stance a lot of the time. It's like, doing this is your job. You want to enjoy your life, like, as well. So, like, yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: Like, I don't want to be the guy that that is popping out of Mira's toilet, telling him, <laughs> put down the idol master.
3: But <laughs> on the other hand,
0: if you have a work and your work is a saga, like you said, it has to have an ending and it's going to have an ending whether or not you want it. If you pass away, I, I'm sure Mori knows broadly what Mira wanted, but I guarantee you from up above in heaven or the eclipse or whatever his soul now resides, he's not going to be completely satisfied with the way Berserk ends. Because he just, I, again, I don't want to put a blame on him if he, he wanted to take other time. I wish, I guess, in the case of Miura, in the case of Martin, in the case of other creators, I wish they would be more honest with the fact that they are not going right. to be around forever. And if you're going to write an epic saga, you have to plot an end and you have to actually get it done. And I really yeah. hope that because of this, more manga creators that are planning long-term stuff take honest stock of the situation when they realize we see a lot more artists that are manga artists that are like losing the ability to draw manga whether their eyes are giving out whether their hands are giving out i want to say the um the hunter hunter guy um, yeah i can't think of yes. his name now like he's he, he's trying to come back to do more hunter hunter but he can't because his hands are, are hurting are in immense pain mm. and it's kind of like i i understand that and i wish them the best but if you're telling a long-form story you do have to take into consideration some of that and the case here. And I feel like that is sort of the tragedy at the end of the day of the berserk. The series is yes. You don't need to read the entire thing to get it. You can just watch the TV series. You can just watch the movies. If you want, you can read the manga. It doesn't like will said the, the destination is not the whole point, but it is a part of the point. Correct. And I, something I really hope that people take away at the end of the day is that you can't just be like Mira in that sense. You have to plot an ending and be realistic about achieving that ending.
3: Yeah, and just a real quick aside to say regarding the hiatuses of Berserk, which have become a huge meme. Um, I think a lot of it really is just because of his strict attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Like the art in Berserk and the panels of the manga are are so intricate and beautiful that even with his frustrations of switching from like traditional to digital art during the time of Berserk, there's a famous story where. Um, he got kind of yelled at because he was literally going pixel by pixel when he was drawing <laughs> wow. the, all the intricate details. That's the
2: thing about his art, though, is you can tell that he puts that much detail in it. Like, you and I have been talking about it on the Discord for a while, but, like, we... I, I've been reading again, and if you join our Discord, you know Shameless Plug number 8, I think, um, <laughs> you'll see, like, Will and I have been sharing panels from Berserk, and, like, the greatest thing about reading it is any time you get a double-page spread that is just this beautiful piece of art. And, like, any time I come up on one of those, I will stop and just, like, soak it in for as long as I can possibly stand.
3: <laughs> the, there really isn't anything like it, and especially where Berserk is in in its second half, basically. the Again, no spoils. yeah. But a lot of the set pieces and art is and what's going on is getting more complicated, for lack of a better term and i think his you know dedication to that is why or a reason as to why the release kind of slowed down a little bit after time
0: all right well we're going to take one last quick break here and come back with our final thoughts So we're back here. Let's go ahead and give our closing thoughts on Berserk nineteen ninety seven. So, um Austin, what were your any sort of closing thoughts?
1: I'm extremely grateful that I was able to have an excuse to sit down and watch this nineties show because it does have a distinct flavor that's different from the way that I've consumed Berserk in the past, you know, most specifically through the four the C movies that for some reason I watched twice twice? Why did I do that to myself? Anyway, uh, because I love lush '90s peak digital, uh, excuse me, peak cell animation stuff, and this is uh, a treat for that. I mean, it's not it's not the most beautifully gorgeous uh, animated thing out there, but it is when it's when it's pretty. It's really, really, really pretty, and I think it's a great story. The characters continue to be compelling to me, even this being my third time. That I've consumed this particular arc, and as painful as Berserk as a series overall can be, with some of its really really harrowing subject matter, I think it's um, truly fantastic. It's a it is a one of those it's a classic for a reason things, and I'm I'm I have a renewed energy to want to try and move forward with this story. I've the furthest I've gone is maybe four episodes into the 2016 show to the point where I thought well this is not great but if this is what I've got then maybe I'll go for it but you know I say all that having not actually finished it so maybe I didn't like it as much as I was trying to but I would like to continue with the story I do have the Berserk and the Band of the Hawk PS4 game which apparently adapts a yeah. considerable portion of the what is it the Millennium Empire arc? Yes,
3: yes. it's Conviction arc, then Millennium of the Falcon well, yeah. Empire. It has like so like many that. translations. It's like Millennium Falcon, yeah, Millennium Falcon. Was? Yep. Uh, the, the, some translations <laughs> call, it Falcon, call it the
2: Millennium Falcon. Others call it the Millennium Hawk. Others call it the like the Glistening Hawk. It's it's Ooh, so glistening. many
3: different translations of that yeah. one. When Han Solo shows up, that's when you know it's the next oh, story. Shoot, yeah.
0: It, oh, you mean Corcus? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Oh no.
3: <laughs> yeah. but,
2: but, uh, Will, and I, Will and I also covered um the the Dreamcast game on an episode of Midshelf. Um it's called Sword of the Berserk Guts Rage. Beautiful
3: name. And Yes. It takes place <laughs> after conviction, right? Yeah, it takes place like in the middle or right after conviction. Or it is non a non canon story. Yeah. So you don't really need the. I remember the to game being it, like to be honest.
2: pretty okay though. Like we only stopped when we got to the sword fight because it just kept kicking our
3: butts. It's really difficult. Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, I do have that game. I know it adapts uh, a considerable portion after the Golden Age, but I and I and I do generally like uh, Dynasty Warriors Musou games. Like last year, I beat uh, Hyrule Warriors. Thought it was a blast. Played some of the Gundam ones, played some of the Dragon Quest ones. I like those games, so I guess that's that might be what I go for next if I don't get regular yeah. access to the manga. But since I already have the game, that's probably going to be in my future soon.
0: Yeah, I think I need to go back and play that PS3 game as well. I I didn't have a PS3 notably, but I think I, I I did like a lot of the Dynasty Warriors aspect. Mm-hmm.
3: This it's on PlayStation yep. Four as you well. Can, it's oh, okay. it's
1: still available yeah. digital download, and I think is it
0: on PC? Um,
2: yes, oh, it might. It I think it, it is on actually.
0: Is it? Oh, okay. Well, that's probably how I'll check it out. I yep. just uh... the
2: uh, the physical PS4 just got a re-release, um, which is great because that game was so expensive for like such a long time. Mm, that's um, good. So if you if you want it, you can actually get it.
0: Cool. All right, well, Ryan, what are your sort of closing thoughts about Berserk 1997?
2: Um, I pretty much said it all already, right? but like, I really enjoyed it. Like, I definitely think if this is your first exposure to Berserk, it's a really good exposure. And But I also, I'm going to join Will now in telling everybody who will listen, like, you should <laughs> absolutely read the manga because it is one of the best mangas I've ever read. Not, I I've read, like, God tier manga. Like, I've read all of Naruto, man. Mm. <laughs>
0: wait hold on The manga familiar. hold
1: on a second yeah. is is naruto man
2: different than naruto um yes <laughs> naruto man is the chibi spin off starring rock lee nice sounds uh, cool
0: it's naruto man it's where yeah, they catch man. them all it's like
1: anpan man <laughs>
0: As for sort of my final thoughts, I I agree completely with what you guys have said so far. I think for me, the main thing is I'm glad that I finally crossed the threshold of just being aware of Berserk as a thing and to actually experiencing it. It, I expected a lot of the the, the time to just kind of sit through it and slog through it to a degree, but I'm glad that that was not the case. I actually enjoyed it for what it was uh, at, at all times. Um, Could the things be different? Could pacing be different? Could have they taken some time in other ways better? The depiction of uh, some of the characters kind of not great, sure. But overall, I think it holds up very well. There, of course, is a big old content warning with some of the the things that we see and that exist also continuing in the manga from what I'm aware of, of course, so be aware of that. But absolutely worth my time, and I'm I'm glad we did this.
2: Yeah, me too. If we do decide in the future... To cover uh, the 2016 show, like I'll definitely watch it for that, or the movies, or anything, really. We yeah, I think
0: them. you guys have convinced me on on the movies. I think I'm going to have to sit down and watch them now.
3: They're definitely worth it. like Or at least the definitely. Memorial Edition if you want it, but it'll be yeah. cleaned up a little uh, bit. Okay.
0: Alright, well, Will, as our subject matter expert, what are your sort of final thoughts on our Berserk discussion today?
3: Yeah, well, Berserk is, is definitely something that, in a lot of ways, can be very heavy. Um, I know it's not always the the thing that you want to get in the mood to watch um but i do think that there's truly nothing else quite like it uh my introduction to berserk as a whole was this 97 anime and i think it still holds up extremely well um it really is kind of a sum of its all parts the like art the music i think the voice acting is excellent um even for like you know 90s dubs at the time i still think it's a really uh, fun dub to watch mm. um, a lot of it is kind of what we've discussed just in terms of, you know, this. It. Minora has said in interviews before that Berserk at its core is kind of a, a, a human story, and he always tries to think about, like, what the characters would do in these situations based on everything they've been through. Right. Um, and I think a lot of that really does shine through Berserk as a whole, especially in, in this. We get to see a lot of what's happening underneath as well as having a very compelling world that to austin's point is always giving you a little bit of information and then expanding on it and then more information that kind of is changing how you're looking at everything um berserk is is again it's just a lot but i think in a great way if anyone's ever interested i think the manga is a very good way to go as well to read it how you can yeah the the 90s anime i think is is the the best over the movies Honestly, but the movies do have a lot of their pros too. So, kind of whichever way you tackle Berserk is, is a good way. to I'm looking
1: it. forward to the pull quote on the back of the memorial box set, where it just
3: says Berserk. It's a lot from Swish Bear on YouTube. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: it it, I, it really isn't like there really isn't anything like it. I don't think like in terms no. of like even though it is like kind of the the granddaddy of dark fantasy, like it's more than just that. Mm-hmm. It, it has so much heart in it alongside these fantastic designs and art with it. Too. If you
1: like those dark souls, if you like those bloodborns, if you like those Elden rings, like me, you will enjoy berserk.
0: They are pretty dark. All right. So let's go into verse order. Will, what is your sort of one favorite, one iconic scene from this series?
3: It's so hard to pick just one. And I know <laughs> everyone's going to say the same exact thing. <laughs> um, I kind of want to pick two, but I'll pick one, the save, y'all and if nobody mentions my second one I'll bring it up briefly maybe okay um, I'm gonna just I'm gonna probably just say the bonfire of dreams is my favorite scene when guts is really finally having someone to speak his thoughts about mm. when he's talking to Cowco about right. what it means to follow a dream and how he has to find that for himself and a lot of those major themes of Golden Age about purpose um, and though with the guts theme playing too I think it's yeah. really just a big culmination of everything that's kind of happening thematically. In this show, kind of especially coming to a head, um, and it's great. It's it's a very iconic for a reason, and I think that's probably my favorite.
0: As for myself, I'm glad you mentioned the guts theme because that's as another that's mine. Another another episode rather. The the point where we first see him join up with Griffith and he and Griffith have the fight and he loses. It plays the guts the the song guts from the OST the first time we hear it, and that song is is very emotional, and that. Mm-hmm. That that simply, that song playing in the background, even though the scene is just kind of set up, it made me realize that I'm watching something special. That was the point where I, you know, I metaphorically leaned forward in my chair. You know, I went from seeing a, a, a 90s anime, whatever, by the Pokemon studio to holy shit, this is going to be a thing that I'm going to love. Yes. And that will stick with me. As simple as that scene was, because of the Hirosawa music really made that pop.
2: Yeah, like, the music for me as well definitely made this, like, a memorable show. Like, and that's... I feel that way about music in general. Like, if you have a good soundtrack, it takes something that has a good plot and makes it just... It goes from good to great, basically. Um, And, like, I've said that a lot about video games. Like, I don't listen to a lot of, like, modern video game soundtracks because a lot of it is, like, atmospheric. No, I want something that's gonna be an earworm. that I'm gonna be, like, thinking about, like while I sleep, basically. And that Berserk literally did that. Like guts guts theme played in my head like rent free for like a week after finishing this show.
1: I think a domestic uh US based uh vinyl press company did release the Berserk soundtrack on vinyl not too long ago. I think that was Mondo, that sounds that sounds familiar. I, I wanna say Mondo, but for some reason I don't. I'm really not sure. Maybe
2: I know what you're talking about, though. That definitely does sound um, familiar. Yeah.
0: Well, what was uh, what was your number one scene, Ryan? Is that was one of those endings with the cut scenes?
2: No, actually, um, my number one scene was definitely the um, the Zod fight. Just because mm. I really mm. liked the progression of it. Like, even though I knew exactly what was happening because I I've been here before, um, they did a really good job of just showing band of the hawk are straight up against something that they've never faced before and they're probably not coming out of this one okay and i i forgot how almost not okay like that was like they lost like they only they only got away because zod let them get away like it, it was just a very it, it's one of my favorites like anytime i'm watching anything with it just zod is one of my favorite characters in general and um <laughs> that fight was just very well done, especially in terms of nineties animation.
0: Interesting. Austin, what is your number one scene?
1: Well, unfortunately, I think the scene that will be severed into my mind forever is of course, the scene where emaciated Griffith at the cusp of the, uh, the eclipse is holding the baylet like in his hand. And it's that beautiful sort of mid shot mm-hmm. where he's like kneeling in the pool of water you see the eclipse about yeah. to begin in the in behind him and he's just holding it. I think that particular image is just so striking just like the the composition yeah. oh. the the desperation the, the the intensity of the moment uh, the, the the feeling of dread that is that is so palpable. I think that particular scene will be something that I think of often whenever I think of berserk um, I don't really I mean I'm not gonna do two because nobody else did two but I'm just gonna say that one that's that's yeah. the one that I will think of whenever whenever that I think scene, of That scene,
2: by the way, I'll try to find this so we can include it in the show notes, but there is a meme of that with the screaming cowboy for when the bailiff it like, wakes up and just oh, screams. Uh, it's, <laughs> like yeah, it's kind of really like really funny edit of that. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of like
3: that. Yeah.
0: Well... You don't get to, but I'm going to go ahead and give Will a second if he wants to take it, because he's our special guest and we love him.
3: So my second favorite one is very similar to Bonfire, where it's when Griffith is talking to Charlotte about Mm. what it means to have a dream from his perspective and how he sees no man as his equal if he doesn't have any sort of ambition or anything worth fighting for. And really Guts and Koska eavesdropping on that scene is what kind of opens up Guts' eyes to everything. Um, Yet again, another scene that plays the, I'm pretty sure it plays the Guts theme in that during (laughs) that scene, too. It's
0: so so good. It really is. It is.
3: You know, when you hear those first notes, you know, like, this is important. And, like, it really adds to that embellishment in in a very positive way. But I love seeing Griffith's take on that whole theme. And then Bonfire, you get to see Guts' response, basically. It's a bit,
0: yeah.
1: And
3: they never really have that conversation with each other. It's always them talking to someone else about it. I think to
0: point out, it's a conversation, but not really a conversation. I don't
1: know if right. I don't know if this was before. I don't. I don't know. My I might be getting my timelines mixed up. But guts theme reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Laura Palmer's theme from Twin Peaks. A little bit.
2: Oh yeah,
0: I can see that. For yeah, sure. no, yeah.
2: I've actually not seen Twin Peaks, so I can't speak to that. It is.
1: Uh, <laughs> it is way more influential on anime than you would think.
2: On anime? I'm going to... Yes. It's
0: Link's, Link's Awakening. Okay. Isn't Link's Awakening based on Twin Peaks, pretty much?
1: I, I don't know. But, like, it, every... It, it, it has, it
2: has uh, <laughs> light inspiration.
1: Most anime creators uh, that made a splash in the 90s for being esoteric in any way would probably have seen Twin Peaks, and they pulled from it. And it was super popular. Like They did, like, coffee commercials and everything. Like It, it hit in Japan really mm. hard. Oh.
3: Okay. Knowing manure, where he pulls from pretty much everything oh, yeah. he absorbs, it seems like. I'm sure he is a big Probably. fan.
0: All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up on our discussion of Berserk in 1897. Uh, we are Third Impact Anime. Particularly, we are the, the god hand of anime podcast, if you will. <laughs> um, you can find our website at thirdimpactanime.com. We have collated our podcast feed. We've got a few written articles still up there kicking around. We've got uh, links to our social media all there, uh, as well as our Patreon. You know, go ahead and click that. If you like this episode, You know, go over our Patreon and kick a few bucks our way. Or if you want to give us um, or kick a, a lot more than a few bucks, we're more than happy to take that as well. I want to say, Austin, didn't you just retool it a bit to give our producers, trying to get our producers to get some things in?
1: Yeah, so our, our top tier right now is just, it's still just a simple $5, you know, it's nothing super fancy, but one of the perks of being a $5 patron uh, is that you have the ability to submit us episode requests, and if... We decide to do them. Uh, You will get executive producer credit on that by name. And I did want to thank Drew H. for being a recent uh, premium uh, patron on that uh, particular tier. He's our wonderful friend Drew that we had on for our review of goodbye partner the loop on the third episode he's a co-host of the sidebirds and cigarettes podcast so drew i know we've already talked about this but we are going to be working on your request in the near future
0: yeah i think he was what was it movies of years well i
1: was going to keep it under wraps but if you just want to go ahead and out and say it that's fine we can
0: we can we can we can we can keep it we can that's that's a smart idea and I think joining Drew is, isn't our uh, other one, isn't Abby, our little Discord troll? Yep. Ab- Abby P. <laughs> yep.
1: She's another uh, patron at the producer tier, and we're working on her request as well.
2: Wasn't her request initially stars 2?
1: Well, that's the thing, right? Oh, that's right. It was. It, it was going to be, but then at the time that she submitted the idea, it was like we were already working on it, so I didn't think that was fair.
2: Of course. That's
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you liked our discussion today and want us to talk about your favorite thing, go ahead and kick us five bucks, and we might or may not, depending.
1: We have the you right don't. to refuse.
2: <laughs> we'll we we'll try our best, though, unless you—pretty much the bar is, like, don't ask us to review porn. Either
1: way, <laughs> we will still love you, no matter if you submit us $5 or
3: $1.
0: You say that after we review series with a lot of graphic social content.
3: <laughs> hey, <there you> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey uh, if I can get these guys to come on here and talk about Berserk with me, then you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the sky's the limit.
0: All right. Uh, well, yeah, everything you can find out at thirdimpactanime.com. Uh, as far as our individual links, uh, Ryan, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Uh, people can find me on Twitter at midshelfryan. Um, if you want to check our basically defunct uh, YouTube channel out, that's Midshelf Gaming. And uh, you can find me in real life. I'm going to be at Animazement with uh, some of these guys okay. in May.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we, will, we will be at Animazement for sure, as we uh, usually are. Uh, Austin, where can people find you on the internet?
1: For the meantime, you can still find me over on Twitter at Bebop Shock. You can also find me over on Mastodon at the same thing. And you can uh, hit me up on Letterboxd. It's my favorite social media. It's the best one. <laughs>
0: And Will, where can people find you on the internet?
3: Yeah, so most prominently, you can find me uh, on YouTube, SwooshXBear. Uh, I, of course, have been doing uh, my most recent review of Resident Evil 4, as we're going through kind of every Resident Evil game to review, Um, so it's been a great time. If it tickles your fancy, come check me out there. You can also find me on Twitter, as well as Letterboxd at the same SwooshXBear. Um, and more, uh, frequently you can see me on the third impact anime community discord. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a great yep, place. I was going to gonna say
0: that's pretty much the only place to find me on the internet anymore. Uh, go ahead and join that aforementioned discord. Again, link that third dot com. And of course, like every podcast, let's go ahead and beg our audience to go subscribe to us on iTunes, give us reviews, rate and review. I don't think that actually means anything anymore if we're being honest, but we are podcast, so we have to ask. We have We're contractually to contractually obligated. Yeah, you sign ask.
2: that away when you create a podbean. Exactly, but you
0: know, we always, we always would like more people to listen to our, our podcast and join the Discord. So feel free to share um, with your friends. If you know anybody that maybe who is just getting into anime and manga, and instead of going to Reddit, is asking their friend, <laughs> "What what should I watch?" <laughs> and they say Berserk, but oh wait, you should also listen to this episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast after you watch Berserk and have your mind blown. You know, we would we would love to get more people into the fold. All right, guys. Well, it was a great discussion. I'm glad to have you guys on, and we will catch you next time.